Hello everyone and welcome to the debut edition of the Match of the Month podcast here on the Grapple Audio Network, your monthly deep dive into all the best wrestling matches from around the world. I can think of no better man to join me for this inaugural episode than my co-host on the British Wrestling Experience, the man who keeps JP and Joe in line over on Spotlight. He's the self-proclaimed Mick Hocknell of Brit Rest. It's my good friend, Benno. <laughs> the Mick Hocknell of Brit Rest, my God. <laughs> Uh, I you said it, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, and my head is a. Re- it's getting worse, J- Jamesy. Week by week, it is getting really, really bad. Uh, I need to uh, need to, need to get the clippers like you have at some point. But no, it's great to be on here, and yeah, on the uh, great to have you over here on uh, on Grapple as well. We've we've not quite poached you from uh, from post, like I said on uh, our last podcast. Call it alone. Call it. Uh, uh, we're sharing you, Jamesy. You just. Uh, over here to talk some of the uh, the non-Brit res matters, and yeah, I'm I'm made up to have this show over here on Grapple, and I can't think of a, a better man than yourself to be presenting it. Oh, thanks a million, Benno. I, I'm looking at it as my international call-up. <laughs> I, feel, I feel I've been I feel I've been playing well in the in the British scene for the last for the last twelve months with yourself and Martin and, and the British wrestling experience, and it's it's time to get called up to to, to get on the international stage, you know. <laughs> oh no, we the WWE is that what that is? is that, oh, <laughs> Like, well, speaking of Triple H, I, I did have a good chance this afternoon to listen to your, your last episode of The Spotlight, and that was a serious burial you guys gave to poor old Triple H. <laughs> that, was, that was purely coming as well from on BWE, me by mistake, playing Triple H's theme on my phone. And then <laughs> right. I tried to explain it on, a, on our Spotlight podcast, and then literally, like, we 40 minutes later, we've all got our ills <laughs> out about Triple H and just got it out. It felt good. It felt like yeah, the Vince McMahon rap we did a couple of uh, weeks ago as well, just to, uh, though, like, like Joe said, those pent-up feelings we all have about uh, yeah. Triple H from yeah. the early 2000s where he was the probably the most hated man in wrestling in, uh, in our kind of circles and yeah he's kind of he became like the internet favourite with NXT but yeah we, uh, we definitely got our digs in you know what's coming, Benno, with Triple H, and it's some, something that a few friends of mine have been speculating on for a while. At what point does he decide to put the NXT title on himself? Because oh. that's that's the last thing that he's left to do, to, to, to look at those viewing figures on NXT TV and to have the arrogance to think that if maybe he was champion, <laughs> he, could, he could bring the whole brand back up, because I can totally see that happening. Oh. And can you imagine the 40-minute epic against Johnny Gargano or one of these guys, or Adam Cole, and he, him trying his best to keep up with these younger guys who are half the size of him and oh my god oh you know we'd love it oh that, honestly it's funny because on pwb we were talking weren't we over on post about uh me playing the uh the tew demo which is like the spiritual successor to ewr and i believe that's a, like a bug in the game a lot of people make real life databases and the like when the computer runs a simulation of nxt every single time it seems to give triple h the belt because he's the most over on the nxt roster if you count him as te- technically on the nxt roster uh, <laughs> it makes sense this, i can imagine triple h's brain kind of work in the same way yeah it's only a it's only a matter of time i reckon i think he's he's had his moments in the sun as like the internet good guy i could see uh with his oh, yeah. uh, alleged emotion and his alleged backstage war without with paul Heyman. maybe uh the real uh internet triple h alert will come out soon totally yeah it'll be it'll be art imitating life i'm sure uh, can you imagine the two quads exploding in the middle of the ring when he gets when he gets about 30 minutes into a Johnny Gargano epic and he just can't keep up anymore that'll be just oh my god the worst thing ever but anyway we're not here to talk about Triple H and I don't think he'll be a man that'll be I don't think he'll be a man that'll come up on any of our lists in the next few months so you'll never know I suppose um, and I do think it's I'm delighted you're the first guest on the show Benno like it was it was you came to me in the first place with the the idea for the show can you just maybe explain to the listeners what was your thinking behind the concept of the show I think the thinking was that 
that we're all a bunch of uh, amateur, unprofessional uh, jokers over on the Grapple Spotlight podcast. And you know what we need? We need we need to bring Dad in. We need to bring in like a grown up in the room. Like obviously JP's got kids as well, but you know we kind of we get a bit uh, mischievous over on the other Spotlight podcast. And Grapple Gareth probably uh, we should probably bring us into line a bit because we uh, we while we do talk star ratings and we do you know I think we have a good I think we we do have a good mix of like the three of us having a laugh and then also you know trying to do a serious wrestling analysis like the Triple H thing we mentioned before. And again, while we do mention star ratings, I did feel like, yeah, maybe we were missing something, you know, on our feed that was a bit more, you know, hard-nosed star rating mm. based. And I know you, James, I know you're the uh, the man with the spreadsheet. Uh, and we've uh, we've managed to migrate you over to, uh, to the grapple app slowly with Shirley <laughs> as well. And I just thought, yeah, you'd be you'd be perfect for it. And I just thought there was, a, yeah, maybe a bit of a, a space for that, for, for maybe talking in a bit more detail what the uh, the best matches of uh, each given month are. Although maybe... Maybe it was uh, the wrong time to pitch it in the middle of a pandemic, but you know, <laughs> timing isn't everything, Josie. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the first thing we should explain because, like, we have been talking about this for a while, and at the time we were just going to start doing the previous month's matches and that kind of thing. But mm. along came coronavirus and basically put a halt to all, I'd say all the good wrestling that's been going on in the world rather than all the wrestling in the world. Because there is still wrestling going on, even though it's not the greatest stuff in the world, let's be honest. So what we've decided to do is is go back to January. Uh, and myself and you and yourself are going to cover January this month. Mm. Um, I think we have lined up JP to do February with us. Um, and then I'm thinking about maybe combining it maybe March, April, possibly May with another guest maybe down the line as well, just 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 to cover everything, you know, because mm. there are matches happening here and there that are noteworthy, you know. But just to go back to the star ratings thing for a minute, Benno, um, have you, like, previous to Grapple, were you a spreadsheet guy or were you a guy who, who kind of kept... I remember hearing Joe talk about his, his spreadsheets and he, he has spreadsheets going back to the mid-2000s and always kept records of his best matches. Was that something that you were doing all the time? I would say it's funny because, like, for me... I'm a sp- I was a spreadsheet guy, but I wasn't so much a wrestling star ratings guy until, you know, nice. uh, the, that faithful trip to, I think it was a Progress Sheffield show, and Gareth pitched me on the uh, the idea of the app, and it, I was just like, oh, God, that's that's an incredible idea. And then, obviously, when the app came out, and we were still over on IndyCon, and we tried to uh, like, incorporate star ratings a bit more into into what we do. Uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't making star ratings, you know, if I was writing reviews, for example, you know, that might, uh, that might slip in. But as far as, like, a... Uh, as far as keeping the log of it before Grapple, I probably wasn't the best for it, which is madness because I am Mr. Spreadsheets, like in work. Like I've said to the this to you off, off air, Jamesy, and yeah, hopefully yeah. nobody from my work is listening at this point. But tell you what, if, if I ever get sacked from my current uh, cushy office job, I'm going to have to go in one day with a USB drive and get all my spreadsheets off the work computer because <laughs> I've got one for my bills. I've got one for shopping. I've got oh, one for just like... kind of a calendar. Yeah, planning my life. I've got one. My big one is I've got one for film. And the films one is interesting because wow. I've kept that okay. up to date for like I've had, had the same job for ten years. So and it's a very one of those very boring quality assurance spreadsheet kind of based jobs anyway. So there is a lot of downtime. Um, and I've I've always kept on that spreadsheet basically every film I've ever seen. And unfortunately, I made the mistake at the start. I think it was to do with like I did have an app I was using on my phone as well, especially you know IMDb for one and uh, another. I think it's called Movie Mate, another app. And oh, yeah, those yeah. ratings were out of ten. 
So I started out at 10 and then I've kind of had to stick with that formula. So it's a bit annoying if I'm talking to somebody or trying to, you know, put my, my rating into like a more of like a, a letterboxed kind of a format or a five-star format. I've kind of got to do the maths and uh, halve my ratings. Uh, but yeah, with with films as well, like I'm, I think I'm similar to my wrestling ratings. I can be... I can be generous. I think I'm very generous with films. I'll give a lot of seven, eights, and nines. But I think with films, I, maybe because it was my rating system was out of ten, I always struggled to give something ten. Ten just felt right. really strong. Just felt too much, you yeah. know. And I, I yeah, very yeah. rarely gave. It was like when I don't know if you were the same growing up playing a lot of computer games, where like the latest game had come out on PlayStation One or the Mega Drive or you know on the sort of Super Nintendo, and all the games magazines would be giving it like a hundred out of a hundred, ten out of ten. Yes. And I yeah, used yeah. to always think like, well, what's above that? What happens if? You know, in five years, we're making better games than this. What do you do? Um, so I was that's always what yeah. You go yeah. Meltzer's the best example of that. Another reason why you know that's one man's opinion. Whereas with grapple, you get plenty. There'll be loads of grapple plugs throughout this, especially with me on. Absolutely, Gareth will enjoy that. Um, but yeah, because of that, I think I maybe always had that mentality. So I've kind of carried that over to wrestling. I'll be generous. I'll be happy to give a a four, a four point two five, a four point five. Uh, you know, a four point seven five will be kind of. A lot of the time, as high as I go, it is very, very rare. I'll give five stars out. I think yes, maybe I'm yeah. partially just a coward. Uh, maybe there are matches I give 4.75 that I maybe just need to just admit to myself that really it's a five. Because if you use my out of 10 ratings like I do for films, what's that? Nine and a half out of 10. You know, yeah, just give yeah. the 10 better at that point. You know, round up. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't like giving that that solid, you know, that certification too much of fives. But yeah, I'd say I'm generous, but generous to a point. Like I say, when I get to those upper echelons, maybe I uh, I get a little bit nervous from a part. I'm definitely uh, not a Meltzer and definitely not someone who's a uh, going to be looking to give in five and a half out or sixes out or pushing <laughs> never, rabble never. to add them to our scale yeah because i'm the exact same as you I, I do all my spreadsheets on the work pc as well it, it says a lot about our respective employers that we're, <laughs> we're spending all our spending all our time and work doing up wrestling spreadsheets and movie spreadsheets doesn't it <laughs> yeah, oh god that's what it's like working in the public sector mate <laughs> <laughs> there you go exactly getting paid for doing wrestling spreadsheets how bad um but like i i started seriously keeping a spreadsheet i, I made various attempts over the years to do one because i always liked the idea of it and i'd always have it ready on the you know the fourth of january for Wrestle Kingdom, the first big show of the year. And I do that and then I'd fall away. But then 2017, I made a really big 2015, 16, I was keeping a Word document where I just kind of if a match, if I thought a match was really good, say four and a half or over, I'd put it on the Word document. But it was very hard to kind of look at that then and kind of come to conclusions about the, you know, come mm. to conclusions. Okay, how, I've got, how many of a certain guy have I got on this sheet or something, you know? So 2017, I was determined I'd keep a proper spreadsheet. And once you do it for about a month, and you kind of, you force yourself to do it and you do it with discipline. And what I would do is if I'm watching matches at home, I just have the notes app open on my phone and I jot down my star rating for, for that show, you know, and then maybe mm. every two, two or three days, put them all up on the spreadsheet and work, you know. Um, and once you discipline yourself like that and start doing it, it just becomes nature and it becomes really enjoyable. And like I was talking to people earlier today, like one of the, I haven't necessarily missed having lots of current wrestling to watch in the last two months since everything closed down. You know, I've been really enjoying watching the retro stuff and looking back at old Raws and Nitros and that kind of thing. And But what, what I've really missed is actually the nerdy process of putting stuff into the spreadsheet mm -hmm. and watching the whole thing unfold. I get this really strange fulfillment from 
entering the data and like I, I would have I would have kind of page one of my spreadsheet would be the matches and then page two would be my wrestler of the year list so I have this really nerdy system where I, where I, I assign point scores to certain star ratings and I give each person points based on the star ratings they got in all their matches. So I have this kind of ongoing top 100, top 150 in the world of wrestlers, you know, and just watching that unfold as the year goes on just fascinates me, you know what I mean? And mm. just that whole nerdy process of entering data, and I, I don't know what that says about me, but that's the thing I enjoy about it more than anything, you know? <laughs> and then, of course, Grapple came along then, and that's such a handy thing. Like, that has become now my little no-sap at home. So I'm now at home knocking my little ratings into grapple and that kind of thing and bringing that into work. So it's mm -hmm. become a really handy kind of in-between for me. I don't think I'll ever give the spreadsheet up. And I suppose the one small issue with, with grapple is uh, as much as poor Gareth does his best, you'll never get everything on there. You know what I mean? It's it, like, there's so much wrestling going on everywhere in the world. And we'll, we'll nag Gareth. There'll always be a tiny promotion somewhere that'll run a match that might get oh, on yeah. your sheet and that kind of thing. So I will always probably have the spreadsheet going on the side, you know. Oh, he put a um, classic ECW on the other day, and all, all the comments on Twitter were like, "So, uh, when are you going to get TNA up? When are you going to? Uh, there's always somebody. Somebody's know, not happy, no matter what he does." Poor like, fella. I know, yeah. but I think he's been it's using this downtime though to add a lot of that that retro stuff, and you know, it's been good for me as well to kind of use the downtime to, you know, I knew we were talking January today, so over the last couple of days, was able to go back and you know fill in some gaps using Grapple, looking at you know what was the highest rated stuff. We're going to mention the top. 10 later on yeah. talk that yeah. stuff even you know as well give them a shout out to use cage match had a little look at their uh, their highest yeah. rated stuff and you know we make fun of Meltzer and we'll always say you know especially uh, we, we grapple on the scene well why take what well, as Gareth will always say why take one man's opinion when you could take a, an entire world's opinion as you can on grapple but I always you know Meltzer's opinion even though we might have broken his own scale I think is uh, is also useful as well so yeah using that in during this downtime to give me a bit of a guide has been helpful as well Absolutely. And is I suppose before we go into our, our top, we're going to each do a top five of the month and count them down kind of from five to one. Is there anything that, you know, there's so much wrestling out there now that, that, that I don't think one person can watch, like even Meltzer doesn't get to watch half of this stuff and it's his full time job. You know what I mean? Is there stuff that you don't watch? Are there blind spots in your viewing, say, that's kind of reflected in your list? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I think for me, you know, doing BWE, obviously, you know, we have to keep abreast, don't we, European yeah. wrestling. And that's yeah. a that's a full-time job itself <laughs> a lot mm, at the best of times. Yeah. And not always the most fun job, is it, Jamesy? There's definitely shows where we're like, oh, God, what are we reviewing this month? Yeah. Uh, which wouldn't have been the case two years ago, but that's its, uh, its own subject. Uh, and then, for you know, for the Spotlight podcast, we kind of have a really casual approach to it, which I, I kind of like it in that it, we kind of just turn up and it's whatever the three of us have watched that week. We try not to... I think the easiest way to burn out on a podcast like that every week is to kind of say, right, this week we have to review, yeah. say, the MLW oh, pay-per-view yeah. from last weekend, and Joe would probably shoot himself rather than do that, you know? <laughs> we have, you know he'd be made up, yeah, he'd do a whole uh, section <laughs> on MLW. We, we got his review in last week, though, so, you know, we got his, he got his 30 seconds, so, you know, that's enough. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like the way wrestling is right now even if you really enjoy something i really enjoy mlw i really enjoy to be honest when i watch it and you'll hear about it a bit later today i really enjoy impact as well you know as much as that gets a, a slag of it ring of honor i believe's got better or you know did before the pandemic when am i going to find time to watch that so i think uh you know my, my regular viewing is you know, a lot of the european stuff new japan aw I try not. I, I don't want to be one of those guys who watches WWE every week anymore. So you know, big WWE pay per views. I'm probably the one of the three of us on on Spotlight more likely to have have watched that. 
Uh, and then other than that, it's kind of recommendations, you know, things from Grapple yeah. that, that maybe yeah. do particularly well when Gra- when Gareth puts out the uh, the top tens, um, or just generally, you know, things I see people talking about on the timeline. So if it comes to like, let's say a Noah or an All Japan, which you know, this being January, it's very much it's a Japan heavy month, isn't it? Uh, this yeah. just month, yeah. match of the month for January now. It's a Wrestle Kingdom heavy month as well. But you know, for for an All Japan or a Noah, there's a lot of talk on the timeline about you know where uh, Kato Kiyomiya or you know Goshi is or you know the Kento Miyahara if, you know when you, when you hear you know Kento Miyahara Jake Lee match getting all the talk you, you have to watch it at some point it might take a while kind of in the content era but you know the big matches like that you know I'll hunt down and watch but I would say for me I think maybe you're more than me somebody who you know maybe gets into the weeds a little bit more uh, with the Japan stuff um, especially you know with your, with your trusty spreadsheet going I think that's is that fair to say? Yeah like I, I would be at this point I'm a I'm a big cherry picker. Like there, I, I'm trying to think. There is there aren't very many promotions that I watch religiously. Like on the, I don't even watch AEW every week. Um, I, I certainly don't watch WWE or NXT or NXT UK every week. Um, you know, it's it's more that when I hear of big matches, and I suppose I'd also be somebody who might. There's particular wrestlers that I will want to. You know, if I hear of a Walter match. Even if it's NXT UK, I'm probably going to watch it. If I hear of a Daniel Bryan match, you know, Daniel Bryan matches are so rare these days that they almost feel like a treat when they come along. I'm going to seek out that episode of SmackDown and watch that Daniel Bryan match. You know, Mm -hmm. Tim Thatcher when he was on the indies, you know, uh, people like David Starr. I I would follow his matches in great detail because, you know, the people I like, I will follow in detail. And then everyone else I try and cherry pick. Obviously, New Japan. I don't claim that I'm not a guy who's going to watch all the Road 2 shows in New Japan or all the Cork and Hall shows. But the big events I will watch. And again, if I hear someone like Alan Forel praising a match from New Japan, I'm definitely, you know, a, a lesser known match. I'm going to seek that out. And yeah, I do try and keep up in Japan. Uh, but again, it's very much cherry picking. Like I don't watch full shows from Japan. I, I don't have time for undercard six man tags and that kind of thing. Um, particular promotions. I would say Dragon Gate is a promotion I don't especially follow unless it's a really heralded match. I, I think Dragon Gate is one of those promotions that. The people who love it talk about how you need to be following it in detail. You need to follow the storylines. You need to follow the factions and what's going on with the factions. It's not really a promotion that lends itself to cherry picking. So from that point of view, I tend to kind of leave it alone unless there's a really, unless I see something in the grapple top 10 or something like that. You know, uh, Lucha, again, I, I just, number one, it's a time thing. It's an appreciation and an understanding thing. A lot of Lucha just still kind of tends to pass me by now again i will seek out certain people like there's some of the math wrestlers from lucha the really good technical guys like a hechicero or a virus i'll seek their matches out if i see them i like some of the lucha brawls but like i'm not a guy who's watching triple a or a or cmll on a regular basis and the same goes for joshi wrestling as well again unless it's a really heralded match that's you know that that's getting over for 4.5 from a lot of people i'm tending to leave it alone um and then a scene that I kind of want to watch a little bit more of is the Australian scene. It feels like it's it feels like it's a scene that's where Europe was four or five years ago, maybe. You know, it feels like it's bubbling under. There's lots of good talent. You have Will Ospreay going, we'll probably talk later about Will Ospreay going over there and having noteworthy matches with people and that kind of thing. So it's a scene that I really want to kind of watch a little bit more of because I feel it is on the rise, you know. Mm. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think. I think the, this last couple of months has been people kind of going, "Oh God, that Australian scene." You know what I mean? Looking, looking at yeah. you know, at, looking at say, you know, Will Ospreay going out there and kind of 
killing it uh, out there with a with a doughy james um spoiler that's a match yes. i might talk about a bit later um <laughs> but again it's it's cherry picking but it's like i wish there was the time in the day to sit there and you know yeah. if, if we weren't following the european indies so you know closely and i wasn't trying to follow you know the big american stuff so closely i would love to just sit and you know be a full-time mcw fan because it looks yeah. like the best of probably what brit res should be looking like right now but but unfortunately mm, yeah. uh, unfortunately doesn't and there's loads of stuff like that yeah where it's like time is a premium isn't it like it's you know ring of honor for example that like i said before they do it they're starting to do great stuff marty scale seems to be you know have a, a bit of a handle on it but i, I you know i wonder you know not how good it is between watching everything else I watch, between trying to watch full, New Japan full-time, AEW full-time, uh, and keep an eye on everything else, when is the time to kind of watch something like that? But yeah, I would probably uh, echo what you said about Mexico as well. Mexico is one that is, you know, unfortunately a, a real blind spot for me. Maybe one month, James, maybe when there's like a big a big month where, you know, you could maybe grab somebody who's a bit of a, a Mexico expert. Because yeah, I would kind of say in our bubble as well, you don't hear a lot of talk about Mexico. Um, mm, true. It seems a little bit undercovered, doesn't it? Um so yeah, maybe maybe something could be done there with uh, we're getting somebody over here. Yeah, the the guys who I listen to when it comes to Mexico are our friend Ben Owens mm. and uh, both both Johnny. They're they're the guys like when they start talking about a match, I I'll kind of you give it that. attention. They really know their stuff, you know what I mean? And they're they're knowledgeable guys who kind of be able to separate the kind of the good stuff from the bad stuff, you know. Mm. Um but anyway, Beno. We've been talking for long enough about it. Let's let's get straight into it. Um, we're going to run down both of our... T- the structure of the show in general will be we'll have a guest on, we'll both make a top five for the month and we'll run those down kind of in, in taking turns to discuss each match as they go. Um, so as the guest, Ben, I'm going to give you the honour. What's your number five match of January 2020? Right, well, uh, my number five, and this was probably the toughest to kind of choose. I think my... My other four slotted in quite easily. Uh, definitely my top three. My number five, it was kind of a bit of a, a glut of four to 4.25 star matches yeah. that I kind of had on my spreadsheet. And I just went with the one that I found the most fun. I'll mention the others later when we get into uh, honourable mentions, but... I just every time I kind of looked at my list and tried to make the decision, my eye just kept getting drawn back to it. And again, it, it probably shouldn't want to have been one of the big matches from the weekend, but from yeah, New Japan's biggest weekend of the year at New Year's Dash, uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroki Goto against the Shingo and Evil, a tag match that should have just been a tag match on New Year's Dash. And should have just been kind of like another one of those fun New Year's Dash matches that, you know, we all kind of go, oh, yeah, that was a that was a fun show. But let's talk about where the, the stories are going next. And it felt like to a man, everyone was talking about this match. And honestly, I thought it was as good as all pretty much anything on any of the undercards of, uh, of Wrestle Kingdom that weekend. That's why it's here and maybe some of the other undercard stuff from, from Wrestle Kingdom isn't. It was just so much fun. I gave a 4.25 uh, on the Grapple app. Uh, I think the, the average for that, what, 4.17? Uh, yeah. So I'm a little bit above the average on it. I'm below Melter with his 4.5 rating for it. Uh, but yeah, for me... It was just so much, so much fun. And this is, there are matches we're going to talk about in this top five where I think, you know, we can get into the depth and especially you, James, we can get into the the weeds of, you know, the stories of the matches. I wouldn't say this was a story match. This was just a match of, to quote JP, four big beefy fuckers getting in the (laughs) ring and beating 10 shades of shit out of each other. It was just, it felt like the four of them had something to prove as well. You know, Mm -hmm, they had, you know, 
they weren't all not featured over over Wrestle Kingdom weekend, but you know, between the four of them, I think it's fair to say they all should be maybe higher uh, in New Japan's kind of I don't know the the use of them at the moment. I feel like you know the the four men, especially you know if you look at Ishii and maybe you know Shingo's time is is, is coming down the line, or people who I, I do feel could have been utilized a, a little bit better by New Japan in the the months surrounding this, and it really felt like they thought that too because they went out there, they took their time to shine. And again, they just beat the absolute crap out of each other. And it, it wasn't a match where there wasn't selling because Tomohiro Ishii's in there. So, of course, the yep. selling's going to be great. Uh, and yeah, I thought every combination of all four of them was great as well. Just lots of big lariats, uh, lots of big bombs, and just one of those matches that just it brought Corrigan to the, to the feet. And it was just one of those matches that just brought kind of get everybody together in, in a show that can be a bit of a malaise, especially after two days of Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, again, it, I think it, it, it elevated the show that it was on to that degree. And it was just so much fucking fun, Jamesy. That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest yeah. thing that makes this stand for me above the other matches that I've maybe given 4.25 for in my, in my honorable mentions. I just had such a great time watching it that I just couldn't avoid it. Yeah, how I would describe this match, Benno, is it's pure comfort food wrestling. Mm. You, you know, you know, you know those evenings where you 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 just you just want comfort food. You just want a big plate of pasta, or you want to get your favorite takeaway, or something like that, <laughs> and just sit down and eat it. And to hell with the consequences. You know, it's it's just you know. And as you said, that there's no fine detail here. It is exactly yeah. you. You look at the names in this match. And what you get is exactly, you know, what you see on paper is exactly what you get in execution, you know. And as you said, um, you get your little bit of selling from Ishii. It, it, it sets up matches in the future very well. It serves its purpose that well in terms of by the end of this match, after that big strike exchange between Goto and Shingo, you really want to see that singles match and that never open way title match. You really want to see Ishii against Evil. So, it, you know, it's, it's as you said, a mid-card match on, on New Year's Dash, which is a show where, you know, they are often taking it a little bit easy and it's more of a storyline thing. It serves every possible purpose. And as you said, three guys, with you know, three of the four probably had chips mm-hmm. on their shoulder in terms of how they were used for Wrestle Kingdom. And like it, it left me kind of, I rewatched it this morning and it left me really sad that, this coronavirus thing has cost us this this Shingo Takagi run with the never open way title. Like I, I can't wait till New Japan are back up and running in a healthy way and in a way that the wrestlers are healthy in front of good crowds. I can't wait to see what he does with that title because oh, that yeah. that run he's going to have with that is going to be something else. Yeah, I want him to have one of those long runs as well. We don't want another one yeah. of those, you know, swapping the belts that uh, that New Japan will often do uh, with that particular belt as well. That's what I want to see as well. And yeah, that was the big thing coming out of this match. It was like. Give me any combination of all these four and just take my money. Like even Goto, who's someone I've been hot and cold on over the years, you know, his his exchanges with Shingo and Evil, like you said, made, made me excited for for more of those combinations as well. Uh, if 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 basically the rest of the year when things get up and running again, you know, if that never title is just different combos of these four, and you mix a couple of the other big lads in as well, then New Japan's gonna have a great mid card this year once uh, when things are up and running as well. So yeah, it was just it was that much fun. Like you say, maybe. maybe Maybe a, a, a really good microwave meal, you know, like one of those premium ones, not like a not like a crappy one pound one, a really really good, well heated one. Maybe one that you throw in the oven, Jamesy. It was just like you say, it, it was what you would have expected going in. It wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't gourmet in far as like storytelling and stuff goes, but yeah, off the charts as far as uh, what you would want out of these four uh, in the ring together. So yeah, hopefully that uh, explains a bit why. Yeah, just couldn't avoid putting it as my uh, my number five for this. 
No, no, absolutely a worthy choice. Um, my number five uh, is, and I think it's one you probably have higher, so we might leave it until you come up in your list. My number five was from, from Wrestle Kingdom Night 1, uh, Kazuchika Okada against Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Heavyweight title. And um, I have things to say about this match, Benno, and I know you do as well, but mm. I think we'll leave that until it comes up in your list and we'll go straight into your number four. Okay, here's my number four. And this might be one that a bit left field, this one, Jamesy. Uh, people might not be expecting to uh, end up in a top five of the month. And I'm hoping I, uh, I get some backup uh, from you on this one. Uh, I did say earlier I might uh, I might visit Impact Wrestling. And uh, maybe some of the uh, the star rating people out there might be uh, shaking their heads at this one. But I gave it four and a half stars. And I'm sticking with it. Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard. Now, don't turn off. Listen, come on. Let, let me explain myself first. <laughs> You're going to get us cancelled on night one, Benno. What are you doing? Oh, I know, I know. That's, that, that is not a, a sentence I should be saying. Like, I, I shouldn't be saying top five matches of the month in a Wrestle Kingdom month. I shouldn't be mentioning Sabi Callahan and Tessa Blanchard. But I'm, I'm telling you, Jamesy, I went back and rewatched this thing. Mm-hmm. And it is just so, so good. I, I liked it more second time. And that doesn't always happen with these matches. And, you know, we'll get into that. This was a match that I loved on the night when it happened, and I loved even more. Uh, I think th- th- this match, if people haven't seen it, this is from the Hard to Kill show, uh, Sammy Collins, Tessa Blanchard, from the, the 12th of January. This was right when that Tessa Blanchard story of uh, the bullying, um, let's say allegations, but I mean, allegations is probably giving it too much credit at this point, isn't it? Uh, but let's just say allegations for the sake of it were all over everything you know there's a press day that day that she she dropped out of obviously because the obvious questions were going to come up and it was a match where it was it was built up and built up over their previous matches as one where you know she was going to be the the conquering babyface. she was going to turn up on this show and you know supposedly be you know the the savior of impact wrestling and then you find yourself in a situation where she very likely is going to get you know, you could probably think as a as a promotion, she's going to get bored out of, booed out of the building. But honestly, I feel like the match is better for it, and I don't know whether it's, that's the right thing to say or not. I feel like she's more intense as a result of it, and the crowd. You know, at the start, there's a there's a bit of rejection of her in small pockets, but you don't hear that by the end. And I think they do a really good job of telling a very you know, there's a lot of you know, we're gonna talk a lot of Japan in this top five, but as far as a kind of a Western style match and an intergender one at that, you know, intergender isn't something I particularly enjoy normally. I just thought they did such a good job of it, you know, from the start with Callahan trying to pile driver immediately and you've got Don Callis on the on the call kind of shouting oh he's trying to punish her and you kind of you could believe that watching live that he's going to be with all this bad press around Tessa Blanchard he's going to win in five seconds and this is going to be over so I thought that was a really good move at the start of the match but the biggest thing for me it was the selling of Tessa Blanchard I feel like it was the performance mm-hmm. of a life in this one you know Callahan was kind of going after her knees throughout the match and she's just so good. I know you're a, you're a selling guy Jamesy and she was just so good in this match mm-hmm. Desperately clawing at him, you know, biting the ropes while Sammy Callahan's being, you know, as gross as he possibly can uh, and beating her down. And it's a it's a relatively simple match in structure. It's the big bag heel beating down, you know, the the underdog babyface. But I just think the two of them are, uh, are so so good for the role in this one that just it, it really put it over the top for me. Um, is this a match you were high on, Jamesy? You know, at the time, or me forcing you to rewatch it since? Uh, were you a fan? 
No, I was. At the time, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Like, I gave it 4.25, and it was mm-hmm. on my list of honourable mentions anyway, so I would have brought it up no matter what. But like you, I rewatched this this morning, and honestly, after watching this match, I was buzzing about how good it was. I know you had kind of been messaging me yesterday evening saying you had watched it mm-hmm. and you had loved it. But, like, I was just... You know that you know the the reason we watch wrestling is is that feeling you get after watching a great match where you're just left satisfied by the whole experience and it's everything you would have possibly wanted from that match and that's the feeling I got from this and the first thing I did was I bumped it up to four point five I, I like I it could easily have made if I hadn't settled on my own top five I'd have no problem putting this on my list as well like really is that good um, it's. It's two of the best. Like uh, you talked about Tessa Blanchard's performance, I would say Sammy Callahan's individual performance, one of the best of them. Of all these great matches that we've watched, as good as anybody, the, in, as an individual display, like he was the most disgusting, horrible heel in this match that you could ever possibly have. And as you said, there were probably people in that crowd going in there after the real life situation that had maybe in two minds about cheering for Tessa Blanchard and that guy did everything in his power to turn that crowd against him and to get them behind her like he's he is just vile like the things he's he spits in her face he's swearing at the crowd there's one point he spits up in the air and tries to catch it in his own mouth and the spit just lands on his own face and he doesn't even bother wiping it off and for about 10 minutes of the match he's wrestling the match with this big streak of uh, mucus or phlegm across his face and he's just you you can't help but want this guy to lose the match you know what I mean it's just a really really great performance it's really good and what I loved about it was he worked really stiff and really mean and he hit hard and like you know, there's a lot of intergender wrestling these days and you try and look at the match objectively as two people wrestling, but you can't help but get a little bit uncomfortable about how stiff he's working here. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's, it adds to the match rather than takes it. It's not a kind of an unpleasant way. It's just in a, God, I really want her to fire back and stand up to him. That's, that's what you're saying when you're watching the match. Stand up to this guy. And he brings this fire out of Tessa Blanchard that's just phenomenal, like the baby face fire. It's oh, like yeah. watching those matches from the 80s. When, when you know when Ricky Steamboat fires back against somebody and they're pumping the fist and it's just a really great emotional match I would say mm. you talked about the leg selling she was amazing selling that leg like there's there's one point remember that point in the match where she flips over into that jackknife pin yes. and she tries to hold him and she's he kicks out and she she, she kind of has landed on her legs to execute that pin hold and she's after he kicks out she's just on the ground clutching the legs screaming in pain oh. you almost is she really injured you know what i mean it's yeah. it's just a stellar performance from her you know what i mean and as i said two great performances and like the last thing i ever thought is that we would ever have an impact match <laughs> on this podcast for the entire <laughs> 2020 and here we are and like I, I'm totally oh. with you Benno. like I'm so glad you kind of made me rewatch this match and we're so fulsome in your praise of it like because I would encourage people who kind of think impact and think ah oh, no way I won't watch that watch this match it really is that good yeah I, I kind of think like I've muddied the water of the your debut episode here James you bring in this in because if you're someone who thinks I don't like Sammy Callahan as a person I don't like Tessa Blanchard as a person you're not going to sell me on this match I kind of get it but I still think give it a chance because, yeah, it is. It's just, you mentioned, you know, when you mentioned there, like, Tessa Blanchard's selling, like, another point in the match was, like, a lot of her offense, you know, she's basically selling a leg throughout the match and a lot of her offense, it's a lot of code breakers, isn't it? She kind of spams mm, that move yeah. in desperation. And sometimes in a match when wrestlers do you know, that whole fighting through the pain thing doesn't always work. 
but she's yeah. so convincing in a salad and she's so desperate that it does work here that's how good she is and yeah i just thought the way they laid it out is is so great you know uh she does use a low blow in the match, but it's not an excuse. It's a counter to you know Sammy trying to cheat and use. I think it was a belt or a or a chair at that point. And and like you said, it's the the structure of the match and just the raw emotion that gets pulled out of that structure that makes this so good. It's the you know at the end where you just think she's got absolutely nothing left. Like you mentioned with the you know with the victory roll and she can barely barely even you know bridge to to grab it. You know and like say Sammy spits at her and she manages to do that you know, gallant babyface last minute fight back and it does, it just I was the same, I was, that's how I felt yesterday when I was excitedly uh, DMing mm. you about, I can't yeah, leave yeah. this match off it was that emotion, you know, it brought emotion out of Josh Matthews, uh, Jamesy, if that doesn't say, that doesn't say everything, you know as a commentator, <laughs> you could feel it in his voice and you can see yeah. it in her face you know, again, the real life story, she is the villain, don't get me wrong, but you, yeah, it's real totally. emotion at the end of the match when you know, when she's crying in the ring and she does bring, bring people along with her for a part in it too, and it is, it's just yeah, it, it, it I think it's one of those things where it shouldn't have worked it shouldn't be on this list but something about all these disparate elements pulled together made it work and that's not to say i'm not a fan of you know the previous stuff they've done together i was a big fan of that as well but you know those matches wouldn't have made my top five you know this you know would have made you know got near my top 10 for for last year's uh top 10 podcast like i think but but i think this is just something that's on on that other level for all those reasons you mentioned and you know again we might not consider we might not convince the uh, the, the 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 ardent uh, people who don't like Sabek Alan and don't like Tessa Blanchard or just don't want to give impact the time but i think it's absolutely worthy and yet as far as having like that like you said that emotional feeling at the end of a match uh, this was high up there on the on my list of matches from january absolutely and like i think the biggest praise we can possibly give the match is that they managed to make an impact world title match seem big and seem important and seem epic. Mm -hmm. And like, how many years is it since we've been able to say that? You know, I'm talking years, like you could be going back to the glory days of impact or TNA as it was known before that, before you can think of a match that really honestly felt big and epic and important. And that's to their credit that they were managing to do. The the, the fact that we're talking about this match, you know what I mean? Despite Mm -hmm. ourselves and despite our views on them and our views on impact, that's how good the match is. I'm prepared to put all that aside to still talk about it on the podcast, you know. Um, so we'll move on to my number four, I think it is next. Um, this is a match that I'd say has flown under an awful lot of radars. It's from the 10th of January. It's uh, Daniel Maccabe, probably a name you'll hear a lot from me over the next few months on this podcast, against Judas Icarus. And it's from 3-2-1 Battle. And it's the final of their G0 tournament, which was basically their version of the G1 Climax. Um, and like part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast and part of the reason I kind of like having a platform like this is to be able to promote people like this and matches like this that definitely have flown under the radar and to give people something to watch over the next few months as well. You know what I mean? When there's nothing else going on to go back and watch this match from this small promotion in the Pacific Northwest and uh, the Pacific Northwest is this little bubble of the American independent scene that's it's bubbling under at the moment with some really good young talent. Like you've got experienced guys like Maccabe up there and Artemis Spencer, who people might remember from Super Strong Style 16 last year. And there's this new generation of, of young, hungry talents. And Judas Icarus um, is the younger guy. This match is basically the fiery underdog and Judas Icarus against the experienced company Ace and Maccabe. And Maccabe has this special knack 
of taking lesser wrestlers or very inexperienced wrestlers and guiding them through these matches and giving them the best match of their life. Like Icarus, he's only 21 serious potential like he has a really unique look and wrestling style he wrestles in his bare feet and a pair of dungarees um but like i'm going to talk about another match of his in my honorable mentions he's building up a really strong body of work up there in the northwest and as i said if people are looking for a new scene to watch or kind of a to be in on the ground floor on a wrestling scene they could do an awful lot worse than look into those guys in the northwest um and i i think it's the usual thing with a Maccabi match. And anyone who knows me knows I'm very high on Daniel Maccabi. And the greatness of his wrestling matches are the small details, the fine detail, you know. Um, and the story of this match is, as I said, the fiery underdog coming up against the ace. And there's an increasingly severe injury to Maccabi's knee. And that's like... Maccabi's, I, I interviewed Maccabi a while back for the British Wrestling Experience. And we were talking about this and he was kind of saying to me... I'm not the greatest athlete in the world. You know, I can't do the high flying stuff. So I have to figure out a niche for myself in pro wrestling. And his niche is selling and fine detail. Um, and some of the work in this match that he does selling this knee, like at one point he does a big, there's a big spot where they do a tombstone on the floor and Maccabi lands on his knees to deliver the tombstone. And straight away he goes to the leg and sells it like death. And even at the finish, his finisher is the cattle mutilation. And when he puts the cattle mutilation on, he can only balance himself on one leg. He does the one-legged bridge, which straight away when I see a one-legged bridge in a match, I'm throwing an extra half a star at it. You know, it's just one of those little nerdy pieces <laughs> of nerdy pieces of selling, or I call it nerd bait, that always kind of reels me in, you know. Um, and as I said, this is just a kind of a match out of the blue for a lot of people. Again, probably maybe one that people didn't expect to see on here. But I would encourage people to kind of give it a chance and give it a look. Um, I liked how it was a full circle moment for Maccabi. Like um, the very first Maccabi match I saw was the match he had against Timothy Thatcher back in 2017, which was his breakout moment. And it feels like this is full circle almost. Now Now he's in Thatcher's role where he's the kind of experienced indie ace and now he's giving Judas Icarus his moment and his big match and maybe this is the match that will get Icarus kind of known more around the world and get him out there, you know. Um, did you get a chance to watch this, Benno? And what did you think of it? Yeah, this is a match that you know, if I wasn't doing this podcast, James, it, it, it might not have come under my radar. Mm. You know, maybe if I'd have caught a tweet from you raving about it or something, but I hadn't even seen that with this one. And this was one I went into completely blind and I saw it, you know, so high up your list and beating out some of your honorable mentions. And I just, yeah, I had to see it. And you know what? I absolutely loved it, honestly. Like, I'm so, so glad I watched this match nice. because, like, I, I'll be honest, Judas Icarus is not somebody on my radar whatsoever. Uh, you know, our man Dan, you know, I've seen a, a fair amount of his stuff over this this last year, but, you know, nowhere near he may be the expert uh, you are on him. But absolutely loved it. I like it. It, it had a good chance of cracking my top five after I'd seen it. Wow. That's, that's how good this was. And again, it, it is not a typical... There you go. It's, it's not a typical me match either. It's not the type of match mm, where yeah, I think maybe, yeah. you know, if I was on my, given my own time, you know, it might it just might, might have been something that I wouldn't have got round to. Maybe if I was at the end of the year trying to round up my match of the year, maybe I would have caught it there. But I'm so glad I caught it. And yeah, you know, I think... The thing is, I think that Daniel McCarver, the thing I really like about him is like... You know what he reminds me of? It's like, you know, when you used to watch like an IWA Mid-South 
and like the mm. you know your big name indie guys would be all over the show like and then but then you'd have like a you know an Eric Cannon or you'd have like that you know yeah. that, that yeah. lone kind of like technical guy you kind of you just he, this is what he does and this is how he wrestles whether you love it or, or hate it this is who this wrestler is going to be and he kind of reminds me of someone who fits so well into into that era that I, I do want to see you know everywhere um, but yeah I really really loved it and I think it was just it was one of those matches where like towards the end it devolves into a fight really it, it kind of devolves yeah. you know, it, it's a very very structured match you know with the with the limb work and the two of them taking their time but the thing is about when it when it turns into a fight what i really loved about it is you know like icarus is still targeting uh he's still targeting the knee it's like it's mm. like a targeted fight that they're brawling but they're still both trying to win the match and trying to do it in a you know in a in a smart way and yeah that that stuff you know the moment where you know uh, uh daniel mccabe rolls to the outside to avoid the tope kind of catches that dive and hits that tombstone and, and then sells the knee which i knew already i knew you were gonna look at so <laughs> kind of covered it as a spoiler you, you know you particularly enjoy that that moment where like you say where he he, he doesn't want to win by count out and he pulls him into the yes. ring yeah uh, all of it like there's so many like you said it was it was it was very much a james jamesy match a match of of little moments um and you did get you know your your big near fours that i bit on a, a couple of near the end um but yeah absolutely absolutely loved it um for its for its small parts but just for its its big story as well uh in a promotion you know that I don't see a huge amount of and you know uh two wrestlers who maybe one I'm more familiar with than the other, but, you know, might not be on uh, on everybody's radar either. Real, real hidden gem, I would say, this one. And, yeah, hopefully this is the type of match that you say this podcast can uh, can highlight for people. I'm delighted, Ben. Do you know the way when you suggest a match that's a little bit off the wall and you think, God, this could go very badly, and Benno might come on here and say, I have no idea why you put this on the list. So I'm delighted to hear you enjoyed it. And as I said, like if people are looking for wrestling to watch and there, you know, there isn't much going on at the moment, go back. It's on YouTube. I, I can put the link up on Twitter. Like Once the podcast drops, I'll put the links to some of these matches up. Go and watch it. It's only maybe 20, 22 minutes. Like, you, you don't get these prolonged epics with Daniel Maccabi. There's a sweet spot to his wrestling that's kind of maybe 20, 25 minutes, absolute max. You know, it's not going to take up much of your time. And, you know, if you're in the business of getting in on the ground floor with newer wrestlers, I would say he's a good one, but especially Judas Icarus. And as I said, I will talk a little bit more. I won't talk too much about him because I do want to mention him in the honourable mentions as well. Um, So we're back to your list now, Benno. You're number three. Yes, okay. Uh, For me, again, this is where things got where I would expect them to kind of uh, start coming up. Uh, and yeah, I went with number three for, again, it's Wrestle Kingdom month, isn't it, January? So no surprise. We're going with a Wrestle Kingdom match and I went for a, it was a hard choice, but of the uh, of the Wrestle Kingdom matches, I went for Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi uh, from night one of Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I don't know. Can we can we talk about this now, Jamesy? This is uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, discussion yeah, here. I think for this one, uh, I, yeah, you go first, Benno. Sure, I think I'm going to be the high man on this one. Okay. Hmm. At the time, I rated it four point seven five uh, when it, when it came to watching this live. Now, I would say. And I think that might this might come into our discussion. Sometimes rewatching Okada matches when you when you're wrapped up into the moment, you can kind of forgive 
uh, some of the, the slower stretches, shall we say, uh, mm-hmm. in the first half of his matches. I would say it's a, it's another matter when you're rewatching, um, and I do wonder, you know, how much that does that play into your rating? Do you change your rating at that point? What do, what do you do? But I would still say I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it it's not my favourite match, you know, spoilers for my, my final uh, couple of matches in my top five, my favourite match from this weekend, but I still do really enjoy it uh, as a match, uh, kind of, on its own merits. Uh, it's still one that I still think, you know, deserves discussion on a list like this. Um, it's still a match where I think it's a, it's a match of big moments in a lot of ways. You know, the, the, the kind of the, the first 20, you know, are kind of leading to that big moment where Ibushi kind of does that, goes into a trance moment, which maybe <laughs> some people can uh, can give or take, but where he, that visual of him beating the shit out of Okada, it was every bit as, as visceral the, the second time I watched it as the first time I watched it. And again, that the finishing stretch is just is still so great, even knowing the result at this point. That is something for me that kind of held up in the uh, the final thirds of the match with Ibushi kind of having a lot of counters for uh, for Okada's big stuff, but, you know, ended up coming short in the end. And, you know, it's a match that, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, hand out fives for. Um, I don't, where, you know, I said earlier, I'm a bit of a coward sometimes and I'll say 4.75 where maybe I should say five. I don't think this is, maybe I'd have to go back and listen to the audio on Spotlight at the time recorded, but I don't think I was, you know, considering a five for this, but... I was happy with my 4.75 uh, rating on it, and it was, you know, a, a big... It was your big Okada match, but with, with plenty of maybe uh, Abushi kind of, uh, and his uh, tendencies maybe thrown in as well. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a, maybe not a masterpiece, but a match that just a, a re- one of those... The big Okada matches don't always work for me, but this is one that worked for me. And I was live at the time, wrapped up in in wanting Kota Ibushi to win and wanting them to go to that that second day. Um, and, you know, disappointed live in watching uh, Okada go over as well. But, you know, as a match itself and as a, as a spectacle, as a main event, I did think it was uh, still a worthy uh, main event of the first night. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm wondering though now, Jamesy, with it being uh, fifth on yours, uh, where you're going with this one. Yeah, so I suppose the first thing to say about this match is it, it is there is a general consensus that this is a great match. Mm. Uh, like this, you know, it, it's not giving a major spoiler to say this is the number one rated match on Grapple mm. for January 2020 with a, like a 4.84 average. You think about that. Wow. You know, there's, there's basically nearly everybody is going between four and a half and 4.75 on this match, you know. So like... The consensus is this is a great match. Meltzer gave this five and a half stars, broke his scale, which means that he, I was looking at his list of all time star ratings. That puts it in his opinion in the top 20 matches ever, you know. So this is, this is the level of praise that's been given to this match. Okay. And when I watched it in January, um, I gave it four and a half and I liked it. Uh, a lot, four and a half, you know, high, very mm. high rating. And it was a, like before I went back and rewatched these matches, I already in my head had put it in somewhere in my top five for the month. You know what I mean? And I put it at five in my list. But like it really drops down a lot on the rewatch for me. Um, I could easily put any match from my honourable mentions in ahead of this. I put it in the top five because I kind of wanted to make the point about it almost. <laughs> and I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure it was discussed, but mm. I could easily sub in any of my eight or nine honourable mentions ahead of it, you know. And I actually put it back down to four stars after watching it again, um, which in itself is a good match. And if it's a four-star match, there's plenty to like about it. And I suppose let's try and be positive at the start. There are some amazing moments in this match for sure. Like you said, Benno, when that red mist descends on Ibushi, it's 
phenomenal. Like, and I, I like you could list off all the the death match wrestlers in the world and all the scary guys in wrestling. I think when that red mist descends on Kota Ibushi, he might just be the scariest wrestler in the oh, world yeah. because you don't, you honestly don't know what he's going to do. He's insane anyway, and like it's almost like he, he kind of talks a lot about he doesn't really pre-plan his matches, and sometimes you wonder like what on earth is this guy going to do, you know? And like those stiff shoot, like he was shoot punching Okada in the face as he's lying on the mat. There's a kick that he delivers to him at one point, and you're thinking like we were talking about that that Ishikawa match from Carrot a few a few weeks ago and how stiff that was. Like this was up at the level of any of that stuff, you know? And like that was an amazing moment in the match, and when that happened. I'm sitting up and I'm taking notice and that's really good. And you, as you said, the closing stretch is absolutely stellar. Like uh, Okada can do these in his sleep at this at, at, at this point, you know. There's a kick out from a Kamigaya that's really, really good. There's a, at one point, Okada drop kicks out of the Kamigaya. Um, there's that big inside out German suplex that Okada takes on his neck. Um, and, and, you know, the, Okada has to break out the Fire Thunder driver before the last... Um, Rainmaker to win it, you know. Mm. So there's lots and lots of good stuff in it, but like, I I just I just can't forgive the opening twenty minutes. And I made a point when I was watching the match; it was going slow for the first five minutes. And I took a stopwatch out on my phone <laughs> and started timing it because I I wanted to time how long it was before something interesting happened in the match. And there's it's doesn't really take off until the 22nd minute of the match and that's the point where Ibushi has the red mist moment uh, and just goes to town on Okada those first 22 minutes very little happens the only things that I put in my notes that were noteworthy was Okada breaking out you know the red ink submission that he used to do back in 2013 he did that and that was quite unique and the only other moment is when Ibushi kind of lands and tries to do a bicycle kick and lands himself on the head and that's a botch I wouldn't even call that a great moment in the match you remember it because he messed up a kick and then spiked himself on the mat but like and like you know me, Benno. I, I do not have an aversion to slow wrestling, to technical wrestling. I don't mind a match having a slow build and, and there being a lot of technical stuff. I'll happily sit there and watch a Timothy Thatcher match every day for the rest of my life, which is entirely mat-based, and uh, which a lot of people will find boring. But like, there's a difference between good mat work and interesting mat work and compelling mat work. And what they were doing here, they were doing nothing. They were rest holes. Like we'll bury Triple H and we'll bury Randy Orton for doing rest holes in the middle of matches. There's just nothing happens at all, you know. Mm. And like Okada, in a way, is the cleverest man in wrestling because he he will do these stellar closing stretches and that's all we remember from the match and it's you know and and we totally forget the first 20 minutes how many times have you heard people say you know the first half of the match was nothing the second half was amazing i give it 4.75 and it's like (laughs) you know at what point do we kind of start marking him down on these opening stretches you know um and it's not as if every like we will talk about another okada match soon where I found the opening stretch is much more interesting and I can kind of explain that when we talk about that match. But it just felt like you could easily, like of those 22 minutes, you could easily have taken 10 to 15 minutes off Mm. and the match would be no worse for it and they could have had a really, really great 25-minute match, you know. And it feels like they're just doing 40 minutes for the sake of it. And I I read a few reviews of the match where people are saying um, you need the slow start to exemplify how great the fast finish is. 
And I understand that in principle, but you can still do something interesting within that slow start. Like I will always talk about Tanahashi as being one of the all-time greats in terms of the opening stretches of his matches. He'll always do interesting stuff. You know, he'll focus on a body part or he'll do some interesting things to keep you interested. Whereas in this match, it's like they sleepwalked through 20 minutes and then suddenly decided they were going to go to town on each other, you know. Mm. And and I, the other little structural issue I had, what that, that moment where the red mist descends on Ibushi, it felt a bit weird that it was in the middle of the match. And like if that had been, if you had taken that and maybe put it in the last five minutes of the match and got some near falls out of it, maybe it would have made a lot more sense, you know, because it's like the red mist descends on him for a while and he's kind of gone psycho with Bushi and then he kind of comes out of it and goes back to normal Ibushi. And maybe if they would put that at the very end of the match, it would have had more impact and would have, you know, it would have made more sense to me, you know. So it's just, as I said, I don't hate this match. I don't think Okada is a bad wrestler. I don't want people going on Twitter after they hear this and saying, how can you say Okada is bad? It's none of that. But like, if Meltzer is saying this is a top 20 match of all time, if the consensus is that this match is a 4.84 average, I would really like people to explain why it's that good. You know what I mean? Because I just don't see it. You know what I mean? I think it's a good match, but I really, really don't think it's a great match. I think I think the thing is, like, again, you know, Meltzer's kind of, Undone his credibility a little bit with you know that the, the the silly throwing out of you know yeah. you know breaking his scale and and acting like you know every all Japan match eraser in the nineties is is like you know a full star or in some places two stars worse than <laughs> yeah. you know it, the latest you know Okada or Kenny Omega or whoever he decides to give six stars to this time and um, so I almost kind of throw that out of kind of but thought with I can't just think you know what Dave it's five star plus let's just say that let's say it's five but you really feel strong about it um I think I, I wouldn't push back too harshly against like your criticisms on it I think for me maybe the difference between it being a five star match and a four and a half or a 4.75 which I you know I gave it live when I watched it at the time and maybe not for me the difference between five and four but I am someone who you know will echo your point and I think I've made the same point myself quite a few times in that yes, I do have, think yeah. sometimes people well I guess wrestling fans I think you give us something shiny in the last five minutes and a lot of the time, the first 15 minutes of a match just doesn't matter to people. And it doesn't yeah. matter to people when they rate it at all. You know, I, I'm definitely been guilty of that myself as well. Because you just, I don't know, maybe we forget. Maybe it's uh, you have a couple of beers in your system. Maybe it's just just in general, you know, uh, that's the bit that we emphasize. is the, you know, the important, you know, stretch in the match. You know, Kurt Angle, as good as he is, made a career out of it, didn't he? You know, at yeah, one point where exactly. like his, his yeah. matches were basically, you know, 15 minutes of the normal last five minutes of, of other people's matches. Uh, I, th- I think for me, yeah, I think the Okada opening stretch is too long. I don't disagree with that. I don't think it's the worst example of it. I- I've definitely seen worse. I think for me, you can get to that. I-, I didn't really mind the, you know, the Ibushi snapper moment coming in the middle of the match because I think kind of like you said, it it does jumpstart the match and it does yeah, get us to... It woke the, me up, yeah. It gets us to the big stuff, doesn't it? And I think you can forgive the first 20 as kind of build into that moment but i wouldn't strongly disagree with it you can do that work in five minutes or you can do that work in 10 minutes or you can do that work in maybe a a much more much more clever way um so that, no i don't think i don't think you're out to lunch at all uh, like i say you're obviously like you said you're, you're outside the consensus there but that's what this is a uh, this is all about and i don't think you're making you know bad points there i think they're all points that again you know Okada, you're not doing him down because he's going to come up later on again. You know, uh, exactly. Somebody's exactly. made yeah. made our lists twice. I always think it like for Okada, it's 
I think maybe we've all just gotten so used to it that we all forgive it. We all kind of go, yep, he bought the pants off me for 20 months, but my God, were those last 20 good. And mm. we give him more leeway maybe than we would other wrestlers, you know, in that situation. Maybe we kind of think, ah, he knows what he's doing. It's all about, you know, crowd control. Maybe that's the reason he does it. You know, it's all about, you know, maybe he knows, you know, they're going into the, the epic last 20 minutes. People aren't going to think so much about the first 20. Um, but I, I would say, you know, it's a wider discussion and we can talk about it again, you know, a bit later on as well. I do think the the Okada style, the, the Okada, you know, again, the the, the, the the quieter first 20 and the and the, and the great last 20, it's not a myth. It does exist. And it, oh, yeah. I would say middle of last, towards the end of last year, I felt a bit done with it. And I would say, you know, his matches over this weekend maybe pulled me back a little bit. Uh, but I do think that's something you maybe start to hear, you know, a little bit louder. So, yeah, maybe... Uh, but I think maybe we can rewind this audio in six months when, uh, when people catch up. Um, and, you know, if, you know, a car that does kind of continue to go down this path and does uh, wind people up uh, in that same way, uh, maybe, maybe we will all start to look at him differently. But, yeah, I just think, yeah, for me unashamedly would say the last 20 were good enough that you know it while maybe it stopped me from giving it five stars it didn't hurt it enough for me to you know go any less than than i did uh but yeah still still you know again it, it, it's one that it still would have made your honorable mentions if not your, your fifth wouldn't it in this case so it's not like, uh, yeah it's yeah. not like you're saying it's a two-star match before uh no people send no. all their hate mail to you jamesy no, I would say it's the first 20 minutes of a three-star match and the last 20 minutes of a match of the year candidate. And in my head, the best way to deal with that star rate, like it's it's very difficult to put a rating on that. So my, my best option is to split the difference and give it four stars. You know what I mean? And I think that's a fair rating given my, my strong reservations about the first half of the match. And just very quickly what you said about the Okada style. And it's almost like, as you said, he has done so much great work in the last seven years in New Japan. Mm. It's it's like that story. I've been reading a story to my kids lately. You know, the Emperor's New Clothes, mm. where um, he's, he's basically walking around naked, but because he's the Emperor, nobody has the balls to say to him, <laughs> you're not wearing any clothes. You know what I mean? And it's, it's almost like with Okada matches, nobody wants to say that, God, it's not actually that great. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we've become used to him being great. <laughs> And we hear from all the critics that he's great that we don't question. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe this will be the podcast, Benner, where, where we'll question things a bit more and we'll try and try and give a bit more honest analysis of these things, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was your number three. Isn't that right, Benno? So right. we're going to have a bit of crossover here now and we'll probably end up getting through things a bit more quickly. My number three is Will Ospreay against Hiromu Takahashi from the January 4th Wrestle Kingdom show, which I believe you will have higher. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we'll be talking about yeah. that a bit. Perfect. So we can move straight on to your number two. Okay. My number two, again, from Wrestle Kingdom Weekend. And we're back to Carter Naito. Here we go again, James. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, like, so, so I have that higher. Right. So we'll talk Should about we that up? in a little while again. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem in it with, uh, with Top 5. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we will get to that pretty soon. Um <laughs> Now I'm after confusing myself. That's your number two. So my number two then, and we'll get to talk about both our number ones then in a second. That makes my number sense. two Do them together. Yeah, I think it works better that way. So my number two is again, I think, an under the radar match and one that people may kind of might need to find a bit of time to watch in the next while. It's from the twentieth of January in Pro Wrestling Noah. 
and it's Dick Togo against Daisuke Harada and it's the final of the Global Junior League there um, that they, they kind of ran on the same night they ran two semi-finals and then this final match um, I gave it 4.5 stars um, on Grapple it's got an average of 3.95 but it's only from 30 people so not many people have seen this match so if people want a little bit of homework for the next few nights that's a match for people to seek out and maybe bump up that star rating a little bit on Grapple and make it a bit more robust um, and I'm quite glad that this match came straight after talking about the Ibushi Okada match because in my head this match is everything that that match wasn't um, I think there's a beauty in simplicity with wrestling and this is a very very simple match You've got Harada, who's the, he's basically the ace of the junior division in Noah. And I would say maybe the most underrated wrestler out there. Like he is as good as any junior in New Japan. Really good fundamentals, really great mind for the fine details of wrestling. And then you've got Dick Togo. And I'm on a Dick Togo buzz at the moment, Benno. I've, I, I've based on seeing this match and based on watching a few other matches in the last while, I've been doing a deep dive of this guy. And like you talk about a guy who doesn't get credit for how good he was. Dick Togo is genuinely an all-time great. He's one of the most versatile wrestlers of all time. Like he, he came through that Michinoku Pro um that Michinoku Pro promotion back in the 90s. So he's really adept at all the high flying and all the fast-paced stuff that they used to do. He's a world-class brawler. Like his he throws a punch like anybody as well as anybody in Memphis back in the 80s. Um he's technically sound, he can work well as a healer face. He's great longevity. Like he, he was he was blowing people away in the mid 90s and he's still blowing people away here in 2020. The execution of his moves, like he throws a punch like nobody else, like I said. His scent on Atomico is one of the most beautiful things in pro wrestling you will ever see. It's, it's just out of this world. Um, and the story of this match, it's basically just, it's about logic and psychology. Um, they've both wrestled matches already this night. They both wrestled in their semifinals. Togo won his match very quickly, whereas Harada kind of had to struggle to beat his opponent and went over 15 minutes. So Harada starts really, really hot as if he wants to finish the match quickly. Um, and the story of the match, basically, like it's it's a Jamesy special that you always call them on the British Wrestling Experience. <laughs> Togo goes after Harada's leg, basically. And like Togo's work on the leg is just really focused, really vicious, really varied. This is the kind of stuff I'm taught. When I'm criticizing the first 20 minutes of Okada Ibushi, I would say to people, as a counterpoint to that, watch the opening stages of this match. Watch the varied work that Togo does on the leg. Like he uses the guardrail, the ring post, really good dragon screws. At one point, he kind of goads Harada into swinging punches and missing, and then takes him down with a slight kick to the leg. There's a really, just a basic thing, like a really vicious kick to the knee when Harada is on the ground at one point. And every time he mounts any kind of a comeback, Togo goes back to the leg to cut him off. And like her, it, the real brilliant thing in this match is the selling by Harada. It's one of the most diligent displays of, of selling I've seen in a long, long time. Like when he's been dragged around the ring by Togo, he's hopping on one leg. Even when the focus isn't on the leg, he's kind of selling the leg. It's it's up there, if not better than Tessa Blanchard's performance in selling the leg earlier that we talked about, you know. Um and the really great thing in the match, you know, the rule of threes in pro wrestling where, where you kind of you do something th twice and then the third time it hits. Um, basically, it's the tale of three bridging German suplexes that Harada throws. So he's working on this injured leg and he hits a bridging German. But because the leg is so injured, he can't hold the bridge and the, the knee buckles under him. And later in the match, he tries again. 
and he has to lift the leg up off the canvas, that one-legged bridge that I was talking about in the Maccabi match. And again, he can't keep the weight on one leg, so he buckles. And it's only when he fires up and powers through the pain and does that, you know, the classic fighting spirit you see in a Japanese wrestling match. It's only on the third attempt that he finally gets this bridge and wins the match, you know. So it's it's probably a match. I know you told me that you watched it and you maybe were raising your eyebrows a little bit about why I had it on the list. To me, it's, it's that simplicity, you know what I mean? Mm. And like, I want logic in wrestling. I want good psychology. I want good selling. I want things happening for a reason. And I want things, I want something that happens early in the match to have consequences in the match later. You know what I mean? And that's, I suppose that's my key criticism of the Ibushi Okada match. Nothing happened in those 20 minutes at the start that had any consequence later on. You know, and if they had filled that, and we again, we're going to talk about Naito Okada, where kind of more things like that happened, and I rated the match higher because of it. In this match, everything had consequence. There was struggle in it. There was, uh, you know, there was there was a st- the story of of the younger guy and the old timer trying to kind of take him out by being clever and working the leg. Just a lovely, simple match and a match that I adore. I adored it when I saw it the first time. When I watched it back, I loved it every bit as much the second time. This is my wrestling, you know what I mean? And I think there's probably going to be lots of matches like this when I do my top fives in the course of this podcast over the year. Um, this is the stuff that I like. And this I, I want to try and put a spotlight on this kind of wrestling because I think it gets it gets underreported. Like, it's not the kind of thing that Meltzer really appreciates. It's not the kind of thing he breaks down in his matches. I think Meltzer prefers the fireworks and the big mat, the big moves and matches and the big finishing stretches. Whereas I'm just as happy with a nice little simple match like this, you know? Yeah, that's it. I mean... You said James is special, and that's what it is. You know, I gave it 3.75. I believe what's the grapple average on this? 3.95? Um, yeah, you're you know, just around the app. Yeah. Of the, you know, the ones, you know, in the grapple top 10 and the, you know, the grapple top matches in general, this is one where it's maybe got a lower viewership. I think there's a, only 30 people who've rated it. Um, so that kind of goes against matches like this as well. But that's what the podcast is for, isn't it? To kind of highlight them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I would say, I gave it, like I say, I gave it 3.75. So definitely not a match where I'm saying I didn't like it. But also, you know, not a match where it's going to get it, you know, in my top five. To me, it was, I enjoyed watching Dick Togo go, how old is he now? 50-something? Like, my God, yeah. like, you know what I mean? The yeah. fact that he can... Well into his 50s, yeah. Oh, the fact that he's still going, you know, and he, he, he he's just, he's somebody, you know, people will know from, you know, Attitude Air and kind of raise yeah, an eyebrow. Of and course, he's, yeah, yeah. That he's still going now, you know, he, he turned up in all the WCW games on the N64 as well. He, he did well, uh, Dick Togo, on that, it was at World Tour, he was in as a character who always used to play as him. But I, the fact that he can still go to this degree and you know was genuinely impressive you know i thought harada you know for his part you know hitting the you know, like the big german suplexes and kind of the fight that he brought to the match was was really good as well um but yeah it was to be honest it was a it, it was a simple match and i don't mean that as a slight it was just straightforward mm. wasn't it it was harada's selling and just togo like a a dog with a bone uh persistently constantly you know going uh, going for the leg and that can be something that maybe to people on the outside can sound can sound you know maybe a bit a bit bland but in a way it kind of gave the match you know gave the match more stakes it felt I don't know. It felt felt like there was there was an emotion to it as well, and you know, in the oh yeah, the, yeah. The, I think the the selling was that good that 
kind of brought that out um and it just felt like a one of those matches where yeah it was it kind of it, it earned your way into it again i watched it as again something that maybe i wouldn't ordinarily watch and i walked out of it with a you know an appreciation for both men even if it wasn't something maybe that the crack for for me i would make my five i can i can certainly see why it's you know one as a just as a as a package as a match it'd be one that that you'd uh, be screaming from the rooftops about jamesy absolutely and as i said i i don't expect everybody to give high ratings to this match but i would say give it a chance and bear in mind what i spoke about with the okada ibushi match you know what i mean and think about what's done in this match in the opening stages and what's not done in that match you know what i mean and as i said more and more as i get older i'm more into the fine detail of matches and you know, I will only call a match great if it's good bell to bell and if there's good stuff in those opening segments. More and more, those opening stages of matches have just become more important to me and, and I can't just keep hand-waving nothing happening or stuff happening for no reason, you know. So it actually happened really nicely that we got to discuss those two matches side by side because I think there's a lovely contrast between the two of those, you know, mm-hmm. a 20-minute match and a 40-minute match. Um, so, yeah, as I said, one for people to have a little look at if they haven't seen it before. Um, so, Benno, we're, at the, we're, at, we're both at our number Number ones at this stage, um, and I think people will probably have figured out what they are at this stage if they've heard what we've said earlier. What's your match of the month for January 2020, Benno? Yeah, I think if anything's going to give you an indication of maybe uh, our tastes or you know my taste specifically in general, my number one's going to give it away. And yeah, it's uh, maybe not one that that people would have on the night said was the the match of the night or the match of the weekend, but on rewatch held up the most. Uh, Hiromu and Will Ospreay. Uh, I kind of I went in with an open mind, Jamesy, as to rating these these three big Wrestle Kingdom matches over the weekend, and you know, yeah. uh, as you'll know, like right up until the last minute, I was kind of going back and forth myself. And actually, this evening, rewatched all three of them. Um, I watched two Okada matches back to back, Jamesy. You're moaning about the first <laughs> twenty minutes. That was uh, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> Still, two very good matches. Uh, but yeah, I think this is there's just something about this match that is just so special, and there is. Maybe to maybe because Okada, um, you know, while we might disagree on some of some points, I think about we we both agree Okada has been so good for so long that he's had a lot of matches like uh the Ibushi match and like the Naito match that are maybe gonna stick in the memory more in say ten years. Whereas I honestly feel like I'm gonna be talking about this Hiroma Washbro match in ten years and I'm gonna be thinking about it as one of my favorite matches of all time. Uh. I feel this is the one where I do feel like a cow for not giving it five. Uh, again, old Dave Meltzer went five and a half, so maybe I should have uh, yeah. followed his lead. But it really just, it's the combination of things. This was fair, not even first class, like past first class, you know, athletic wrestling, which is something that, you know, I'm maybe more uh, more into than the, the most. But it was not just that. It was the emotional element of, of Hiromu's return. Uh, the, you know, believe it or not, there was some very good selling in the match. I thought as well. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, but but again, it was a match that knew what it was, and it was just a all guns blazing match between you know two of the best in the world at this point. Like it felt like the the exclamation mark on, on Will Ospreay's year because I think we all knew Osprey was was great, and you know I know this you know it bled into this year, but it kind of felt like a I don't know an underscore of a, of, of what he's done over this last year. It felt like. You know, moving into the heavyweight division in New Japan, probably, you know, we all would have argued should have happened a year ago. But then, you know, it was great getting to see, you know, as a, as a novelty him in the G1, um, as still a junior, mixing up with Okada and Tanahashi. They felt like big matches for him as, uh, you know, moving up it, it, 
in his career, even like you know the curmudgeonly people who, who wouldn't want to like a wrestler who works in the style of Will Ospreay, I think those performances over the G1 turn some people around, and I think this is kind of the uh, the accumulation of it all as well. And I think for his parts as well, Hiromu, you know, going in, how many of us probably said that you know. Uh, why are they why are they letting Hiromu come back and do these ridiculous tags and not making his first match back with we the last break? Did it hurt at all? It didn't. If anything, I feel like it made him yeah. better. He, he got that warm up, didn't he? You know what I mean? It was yeah, like a, exactly. it's a Premier League player coming back and playing with the under twenty ones. He kind of got himself back into match shape, and we might not have got a match this good if he didn't do it. Um, and yeah, it is a match where it's just it's just next flat level flying intensity but next level meaning behind it as, as well and it's got it, it's just so well structured they kind of they do go quite quickly you know into the big stuff um uh, you know it, it's not long before you know they're on their apron and and uh, hiromu's hitting that sent onto the outside and things do kind of escalate quickly and you get that that's sasuke's special gift that you know people might know <laughs> about gift wrestling yeah. in 2020 but that's a gift that's got to live on uh where osprey uh, misses it then he kind of, uh, Hiromu tries to do the German on the ramp and Osprey flips over that, ducks under him, goes into the ring and then hits the Sasuke special. Like that is like as far as like just perfect timing. Like you, you won't, you just don't see wrestling that good. Uh, or, or, you know, I suppose spot wrestling maybe does it down, but that kind of wrestling done that good. It is just next level. And yeah, absolutely love the match. And I just absolutely love both of these wrestlers. I felt like the near, all of the near falls felt particularly earned. I feel like I, I do think that real life story of Hiromu managing to scratch and claw his way back into being a full-time New Japan wrestler again does kind of play in the back of your mind. And while they don't go after maybe the injury as much as you might have expected and might have been done with a different opponent. There's little bits of it in there and there's little bits of oh, it yeah, when, yeah. you know, when Osprey hits the, you know, the hidden blade, you do, you still cringe. You cringe every time he does it, yeah. to be honest, but you cringe even more when it's with Hiromu. And yeah, you know, there was a, there was a point in the match actually when I rewatched it today where, when Hiromu hits the, the time bomb, that would have been fine as the finish. I would have probably still given this 4.75, totally. yeah. but they do the kick out and I bought it again. I bought it, you know, well, only months later, five, four, five months later and i'm still buying uh that is that is the big near fall and he hits his crazy new finish and yeah this was just next level wrestling watching it live and as much as anything i've rewatched it it really really held up on uh, on second viewing as well so maybe that's why it pipped the uh the two okada matches for me to be my mm. number one but maybe it's a style thing because i do love this style and i do love will osprey uh but yeah for me it was a uh, it was the number one match of january and one that i'm expecting uh, end the year when we come to do our, our top tens for the year that it's it's going to be a contender for number one there as well just absolutely absolutely love this one jamesy and yeah uh, again but i think i'll, I'll stick with the 4.75 but <laughs> I, I could he depending on what you say now maybe i could be convinced to uh, to change that to a five <laughs> it's a it's a coin flip for this one to be honest it's a it's a real real close one that uh that yeah, yeah. That I absolutely loved well, I always say, Ben, if you're in doubt about a five, then it's not that's a five. That's the thing. You have that's to, the thing. It's, I, it's a feeling almost. You, you know mm. when it's a five, and if you are in doubt, you have to put the 4.75 on us. That's always my rule anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's like, when we talk about it as well, we always, I always find this when we do Spotlight, where I'll be like, justifying why I knocked the 2.25 off, rather than talking about why I loved it so much to yeah. give it 4.75, yeah. you know? It's not a slight in any way. 
Absolutely, yeah. And like I had this at number three, uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, the Grapple users had it as their number three as well. Um, 4.76 average. Like there's nothing between the top few matches on, on the Grapple list. Like no. you're talking one hundredths of a star rating. You know what I mean? So th- this is basically is, and Meltzer gave it 5.5, as you said. I was a bit lower. I went 4.5, but but like absolutely love this match um, for all like and you've broken it down very well Bano like and I, I don't have a massive amount to add to that um, it's a fireworks match as you said it very yeah. much knows it's a fireworks match it, it is not in any way apologetic about it and let's face it do we want to see Osprey and Hiromu rolling around on the mat for 10 minutes before they do all the good stuff we don't you know and given how long some of the other matches went on this show I felt they pitched it perfectly for for the position it was on the card and given what was going to come afterwards as well you know and like I think a thing that they both deserve great credit for not just from this match but as wrestlers in general was that the the Tokyo Dome crowd was loud and invested in this match and like how many years did we come to the junior match in the Tokyo Dome and no matter how good the match was and no matter how good the wrestlers were no matter what they did the crowd was dead for a long long time that Tokyo Dome crowd just didn't react to juniors and didn't react to junior heavyweight wrestling and just there was just silence even though they were doing great things and it says a lot about how those two guys have been built up and how much of a star both of those guys are now in New Japan that the crowd loved this match and were going crazy for it you know um I did think, you know, I do think there was a bit of focus on the neck. And I do think it, it, it was almost like Osprey kind of said to himself in storyline, I'm going to test out this guy's neck. You know, he does mm-hmm. a lot of the moves are aimed at the neck and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. As you said, there's a kind of a sense of danger to it. He takes some big bumps on that neck, like that hidden blade that he takes. You are cringing. But like, I can't lie if I can't say that that sense of real danger you know, it's an awful thing to say, but it kind of adds to the match, doesn't it, in a way? You know what I mean? That, that that little bit of discomfort, you're suspending reality a little bit, it does make the match a little bit better. You know, the Sasuke special spot, You desc- I'm glad you described it and I didn't have to, Benno. And even when you're, when you're saying it, it sounds contrived and it sounds like the worst thing in the world, but the way they executed it, like it was flawless. It was perfect. And the margin for error on that is zero. If that goes wrong, they just look like a pair of idiots. You know what I mean? But they, of course, of course, those two pulled it off, you know. And and you talked about the hidden blade. I really liked how they teased it and built up to it. Like there was twice Hiromo kind of avoided it. The first time he collapses, the second time he ducks. So when Osprey hits it the third time, it feels even more special. It feels like a complete kill shot. And you can't help but think of Wrestle Kingdom 3. Remember when he completely knocked out Ibushi, almost he he shoot, concussed Ibushi with the hidden blade the year before? You're thinking back to that and now you have this guy with a legitimately injured neck. All these thoughts are going through your head and it's adding to the experience of the match, you know. Um, My one little criticism of it, I think, is I didn't like Hiromu using the, he used the Canadian Destroyer, I think, three times in the match. And like, I'm not a fan of that as a move once in a match. I do think three times in a match is a little bit of overkill and that kind of was annoying me a little bit. um, I liked the fact that he had to invent a totally new move to kill, to, to beat off us, to beat Osprey. Finally, you know, um, I feel like, Os- finish. yeah, but I, 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 it, it elevates Osprey because, you know, Osprey has been a heavyweight wrestling the juniors and beating everyone for, for the last year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think it's appropriate that Aromo has to invent a new move to beat him. That's what you have to do to beat this guy who's been such a, a dominant ace of the division, you know. So even though Osprey is now a heavyweight and he's losing to another junior, 
you don't it doesn't sit badly with you you feel like that's appropriate that he had to invent this crazy head drop move just to put him away you know um and actually I, it, this went up for me on rewatch um i think i had it at maybe 4.25 the first time i watched it bumped it up to four and a half um I don't have any arguments. If this is your best match of the month, this isn't, it's not like the Ibushi Okada match where I have major issues. I have no problem with this. This is state of the art fireworks wrestling and it's just phenomenal stuff. You know, I, I have, it, it's just, you you know, it's not my style of wrestling, but when, the, when people do it this well, I have no problem with it. You know what I mean? But it has to be this good for me to like it almost, you know? Yeah, I think that that's the story of Osprey this last year. You know, uh, I think even the people who, who aren't gonna like a style like this? It's normally not gonna be for them. He's just so good at it that you can't, you can't really argue, can you? And yeah, I think I think it's a, it's another perfect storm one. I think I would have loved it personally. Would it have been my number one over the you know the two big Okada matches if it didn't have Hiromo in it? If it didn't have the sympathetic guy underneath as well, just to get like you said to give it that level of danger and to give it that level maybe extra level of emotional investment mm-hmm. or yeah. you know what what's a match if it's not you know the sum of its parts and yeah i just thought it was it was perfect for that and yeah i just you don't i can't imagine i mean you know maybe maybe osprey's got in his locker but this style of match this is as good as you can maybe do with the style of match uh but you know, give 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 Osprey. I think give him this uh, this time off where he seems to be putting about thirty pounds on in uh, oh, your yeah. muscles as, as a heavyweight in uh, in lockdown. Maybe we'll see when he comes back. But yeah, this was a match that just made me really excited for Osprey's twenty twenty one, and it kind of showed how how the, you know while we all might have thought uh, you know they're keeping him in the junior division, maybe you know maybe they don't they think a lot of Osprey, but maybe not quite as much as we do. And it was quite clear in the presentation of him here, uh, you know. His, him getting in the G1 last year and just how his 2021 was shaping up, uh, you know, how how much faith they've got him in for this year. And also, you know, for Hiromu, how much faith they've got in Hiromu to kind of now be, now they've got the guy who can, you know, be the next guy to be the guy uh, in the division. Mm, they exactly. Don't, yeah. don't need Osprey there anymore, do they? They've got Hiromu and, you know, it was, it was so, that's the big thing for me. It was just so great to see him back. Like I was, yes. I was convinced yeah. he was another Shibata and we weren't seeing him again. Like I, I really, you know, as those months went by where it didn't you know there was rumors he was coming back and he and he never turned up uh i was really worried and i do think that plays a part as well that that emotional connection to him uh, oh, yeah. as a wrestler yeah. so yeah absolutely love that match and yeah quite happy with it we'll be in number one i'm glad it featured on yours as well james because i think you were you were considering leaving it off entirely weren't you for uh for a point so i'm glad i encourage you to uh, to rewatch that if i if i achieved anything oh yeah it, it was it, i had five in my head and it was the one that was on the brink where I was thinking, God, maybe I can squeeze something else in because I knew you'd talk about it anyway. But yeah, once yeah. I watched it, once I watched it, I, I just I, I can't make a list of top five and keep that off. It just really is that good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to my number one then, Benno. And again, by the powers of deduction, I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody. <laughs> my number one match was your number two. So we're, we're not far apart. My number one match was from 5th of January, the next night, uh, Kazuchika Okada against Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP heavyweight title and IC title. Um, a match that has a grapple average of 4.84, exactly the same average as Okada. I think Okada Ibushi gets above it by 100 of a star rating or something like that. Um, <laughs> Meltzer only gave it five, which is... Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Menster's the low man on it. I, I went five on the, I went five on this as well. I, I really think this is a special match. Um and in a way, it's Okada proving me wrong. You know, I, I can't write off Okada as a wrestler and say Okada only does 
bad openings to matches now because I, I can't level any of the criticisms I made of Okada Ibushi at this match. I was into this match from start to finish, bell to bell. Um, a lot of it was Naito. Um, I don't know, did you notice him? He didn't do a lot of the kind of stuff that Naito will do. At the, he didn't do the stalling. You know what I mean? He didn't do the the LIJ shtick at the start of the match where he stalls and goes outside the ring and wastes five minutes doing that, trying to frustrate his opponent. I think the idea was he was trying to put across that this is my big chance. I'm super focused. This isn't the time for playing games. You know what I mean? And I'm not a major Naito fan. Um, I have not enjoyed him for the last year or two. Um, Apparently... In his defense, he's been working with some injuries. Apparently, there was some problem with his vision that he's wrestled the whole last year with with some kind of issue with his vision. His knees are obviously clearly in a bad way. Like, you can see that big strapping on them. So, like, I'll give him a pass on, like, the fact that he will sleepwalk through a G1 and maybe give two or three killer performances towards the end. And again, they're the matches we remember, you know. So, he's a guy who will sleepwalk through a lot of matches. He relies on shtick and that kind of thing. He relies on the LIJ gimmick a lot. There was none of that here. Like, it was, it was super fun focused the starting the opening sequence straight away like the, I watched the the Ibushi match and the Naito match back to back and the difference in the opening segments of this match like it was quick paced it was um there was a plan on Naito's part he was trying to go after Okada's neck at one point he, he does a kind of a hanging neck breaker off the apron on Okada and literally points at his own neck as if to say I'm going to go after this guy's neck and soften it up for my finisher you know and again one good thing about Naito is there's always this kind of inherent logic to his matches. A lot of the things he does in a match will focus on the neck in order to set up the finisher, the Destino, where he dumps his opponent on their neck, basically, you know. So I do like that about him. And that was, it's just, it's a thread you can sink your teeth into throughout his matches, you know what I mean? And I felt like he kind of will always go back to the neck in the match. Um, I Did you watch the English commentary or the Japanese commentary for this panel? I watched the English commentary for it. English, yeah. I thought they were superb. I, I think those guys do a great job at the best of times. I thought they were amazing in this. Do you remember in a few points in the early stages... They were trying to spot little things like, is Naito a little bit nervous? They're talking about the stutters in his foot, footwork and that kind of thing and saying, oh, God, right. is he a little bit nervous? Is he going to bottle it again? You know what I mean? Mm. And they were taking the stance that we we can't see Okada being beaten by Naito here. We think he's going to bottle it again. You know what I mean? Like Chris Charlton is talking about two years ago when he didn't do it and that kind of thing. I, it was just, it really brought the match up for me. The detail those guys go into, you know what I mean? And I love that they will always spot limb work in matches they'll see him going after the neck they'll tell that story for the for the viewer you know what I mean I just think they're phenomenal at their jobs um, of course like I think the thing this is a really great match but there I think that the moment in it when I knew it was five stars is the Stardust the Stardust press when he climbs the ropes and hits that Stardust press where two years before his fatal mistake in not beating Okada was climbing those ropes and hesitating and missing. The, he had Okada beaten two years ago, but he had to go up to the top rope and be flashy and hit that move as a nod to his past. And it's what cost him. And this time he goes to the top rope and he nails it. And like, that's just your two years of storytelling your payoff is two years later. You know what I mean? People were so angry that Naito lost that match two years ago. And we were all up in arms. None of us could believe that he lost that match. And lo and behold, we get the payoff two years later. And you look back now and you realize 
what a genius bit of booking it was that he didn't win then so that we got this moment now you know what I mean and that callback and that moment and like the urgency of him like when he when when Okada kicks out of the Stardust press he doesn't hesitate he goes straight into his his, his normal sequence of finishers and wins it clean in the middle of the ring you know what I mean I, I just feel like it's it's an interesting match from start to finish it never drags both guys have a clear plan Naito goes after Okada's neck Okada goes after oh yeah there's the injured knee as well Benno you know like mm. the night before Jay White has destroyed Naito's knee every time Okada's in trouble in the match the knee is his insurance policy. He'll attack that knee and it kind of slows Okada down, you know. So you have a little, you have, you have a very obvious game plan on both their parts. You have an amazing callback with the Stardust press. press. You get the usual stellar closing stretch where it, it, and it's not too much. Sometimes those closing stretches can be too much. It ends decisively. It, it ends cleanly. And then to cap it all off, that lovely emotional moment where Naito's doing his speech at the end, and he says something about Okada and, and gives him praise and credit. And Okada does, you know, he's been carried out by the young boys and he raises his fist in the LIJ signal as if to say, I finally respect you. You know what I mean? And you just have the, the, the great storytelling you get in long term from New Japan. This is just great stuff for me. You know what I mean? A, an easy, I gave it five at the time. Watching it back, no problem giving it five stars. Just an amazing match. And it probably will take a lot for this to be beaten for match of the year for me, to be honest. <laughs> I suppose especially in the year we're having now, but even in a normal year. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Hard to follow that, really, JZ. Like, yeah, you've summed, you've summed it up, really. This this is a match that will be in or around my top ten. I mean, it'll be in my top ten, I'm certain of mm. it. Um, it's just a question of where, but it's it, it's very likely going to be in the top. And I tell you what, JZ, like, listening to your talk then, it kind of reminds me about how, like, watching this live at the time, how much at the time I didn't want to see Naito in this position. Like, I don't yeah, know about you, true. but, like, going into this this weekend, I think it's easily forgotten now, but I didn't... Okay, you can app. Don't get me wrong. You can categorically say the long term build is there for this for for Naito to get this moment with Okada, but short term, I really wasn't feeling it. It, it didn't feel like yeah, same as yeah. Naito and Jay White on that first night, like um, we might mention that in honorable mentions, but it won't be me. I promise you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I just did. I didn't want to see either of them. In the sec- I did. I hated the tournament idea. I really just didn't enjoy it in execution. It ca- it felt like a good idea at one point, and then it, it just felt kind of lazy. And the in ring promo segments they did with the lads just wasn't. Yeah. Just, it didn't, yeah. The whole story didn't grab me. So like I spent maybe the night one Naito Jay White match. You know, as well as some of my misgivings about Jay White kind of sulking out. I just I, I I think I remember tweeting on the night I wanted to see Okada and Ibushi again the second night rather than see this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be honest, you know, it's it's high on my list out of the two matches and it is the one that I, I, I just about preferred as well so it kind of they kind of showed me to be honest and I think it was like you say the the, the early stages of the match where Naito looked nervous but not even that just the way he walks out and you kind of you can see on his face this is different this is yeah the, yeah. He looks as serious as, as he's looked, and I think the biggest praise I can kind of give it is to to a match, and you know, to go to maybe some uh, maybe the criticisms you held about the the other Okada match on this. This is one that didn't feel like 35, 40 minutes, or yes. I think it was like thirty minutes, something yeah. like that. It was. It didn't feel like that at all, even on rewatch. And you know, I, I came in with some trepidation about watching two long Okada matches as good as they are back to back in a night, and yeah, it it, it did. It grabbed me. Again. Again, a second time out, and I do 
did give it strong consideration to be my number one. I'm I'm happy with going with Osprey Hiromu, but you know, on, on another day, it, you know, I, I could have easily gone with this too. Uh, and yeah, it, for all the reasons you mentioned there, it was just it was just a, such a well worked match, and both men played the well the the role so good. I loved Okada kind of soaking up those boos a little bit, you know, when he he kind of just. Kept yes, going after that, yeah. that Naito's knee, just kept going for it. Uh, that that just I, I love those little moments in the match as well. And it is it's a match where, like you said, that big moment at the end when you know Okada gives kind of his respect to Naito, and you know obviously they run the uh, the, the Kenta angle afterwards, which it maybe took some wind out of some people's sails and might explain why maybe some might prefer the Ibushi match. Maybe that, that left a bad taste in some people's mouths. But the act, as you touched on there, the moment of Naito getting his crowning moment that, you know, those poor Naito fans have been screaming for for two years. <laughs> and they probably have to listen to people, people like me for the last year going, ah, I'm sick of Naito. I mean, yeah. Sick of yeah. broken down Naito. I don't want to see him do these same matches where he, he lands on his head you know, over and over again. I, I, I'm done with Naito as a top-line guy. It was clear watching this match. The, the New Japan ticket by public are not sick of Naito as a top-line guy and wanted oh, no. to see this. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was one for the, you know, maybe Gato was rightful there, where over the long term, maybe, maybe they could have done this last year instead. But, you know, it it, it, it had even more of an emotional punch having that, I suppose, patience. To, to give us it a year later and that makes it hard for me to kind of separate how big a moment that felt from you know how how good the match it, it was i think the two things really bleed into each other i think that's why this works so well and a lot of time with five star matches i think that's you know the, the way it can go um again i was 4.75 on it but another close one for me and yeah another one that will it will feature in my, in my top 10 at the end of the year unless we have an you know an incredible winter once we <laughs> do start getting wrestling back again mm. uh but yeah i can totally totally see why it's your number one jamesy yeah and like and the highest praise i can give it is exactly what you said benno i am not a naito guy i am not a naito fan i didn't particularly want to see him in this position i, I didn't really feel like it was a story worth telling but by the end of the match i was they got me you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was, you know, I was getting the hairs on the back of my neck standing up when he climbs the ropes and hits that Stardust press. So, like, when you're emotionally invested in a match with a guy you don't particularly like, everyone concerned, the booker, the two wrestlers, they have all done their job perfectly. You know what I mean? And that's the highest praise I can give it. I was supporting Naito and I was genuinely emotional to see him get his moment, you know, and that's, that's pro wrestling, you know, and that's the greatness of it. When you can get someone's real life emotions like that that's all you can ask for you know um so there you go that's that, that's our two top fives by now i think two varied lists like it was always going to be new japan heavy wasn't it given the month that it is i, I think if if we ever do this in in january's and future years there will always be two or three big new japan matches because it's wrestle kingdom they, they you know they always push the boat out they always deliver the match of the year candidates don't they mm. oh yeah I remember when we were talking about doing this podcast and we we're like ah maybe we can tie january and february together good god help us if we've been trying no, to do that no, uh, no. yeah that, like that that's just what january is isn't it and you know there's uh you know, it's a big one for Japan in general, so you know that's going to explain maybe some of the the grapple turn and some of the, uh, yeah. the mentions we'll mention too. But it, it, at the end of the day, it's Wrestle Kingdom month, isn't it? So I think it, there was no doubt that two to to three of these matches. I think if most of the listeners put a top five together, you're going to get maybe not the same two or three. Uh, you're going to get your Wrestle Kingdom matches at least playing part in your top five. That's just that's just what January is on the wrestling calendar at this point. 
Absolutely, yeah. And as I said, matches that I'm glad I watched them back because I, I remember watching them live. Remember how early in the morning it was over here? Like we were getting up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday and a Saturday and it was you're tired like basically my opinion on all three matches changed and, and, I, and I, I changed my ratings for all no apart from the main event my my ratings changed for the other two like so it just goes to show the mood you're in and how you're feeling watching a match could, can really alter it like when you look back with fresh eyes a few months later it could really change it you know okay. um so we're maybe next going to have a look at the grapple top 10 Benno have you got it in front of you there as well I do have it yep yeah, so uh, just to go down through, and some of our honourable mentions will come up in this as well. So obviously the number one for the month was Okada Ibushi. Number two was Okada Naito. And as I said, one hundredth of a star rating between them, nothing between them, basically. And just behind was Osprey Hiromo, you know, at 4.76. Um, there's a match I see in your honourable mentions there, Benno. Um, another Will Osprey match. It's at number five on the grapple list with a 4.43 average. And it's Dowie James against Will Osprey from MCW on the 11th of January and this is a match I think you enjoyed did you get to rewatch it again or I did yeah I mean this was one that kind of it, it, I wouldn't say flew under the radar but it was like all of a sudden everybody was talking about it you know as, yeah. this, as this big Osprey match um, yeah I think I've seen people go 4.75 on it I've seen people talk about it as like you know the, the high level Osprey match I think it's Osprey against an opponent who's maybe not quite at that level yet but all the yeah. pieces are there, like as a shitbag heel, as someone who can you know can go in the ring as well. I do think maybe there's a bit of uh, I, I wouldn't say there's a, a whole load of Australians giving it hometown bias on the on the app, but I do think maybe I wouldn't consider it a match of the month contender. But it, I'm glad that I went I went and uh, and got it out and, and gave it a rewatch because yeah, there's, there's, there's moments of brilliance in the match. Like I say, it's like watching the way Brit Resendiz should be presented, uh, and I do think yeah, Osprey's got a habit of going to these places and uh, bringing the best out of opponents that maybe aren't quite on you know near his level yet, but you know clearly have all the uh, the mechanics in there that might get them there. So you know I can't see why people rated it so highly. Yeah, I'd be the same as you, Benno. I, I thought it was a good Osprey match, but like Will Osprey is churning out great matches all the time. You know, I, I think it would be in the kind of second tier of matches. Like I could probably, if I looked back at my spreadsheet from last year, I'd say there were probably 20, if not 30 Osprey matches that were better than this. Now, number one, that shows you how good Will Osprey is. <laughs> but I do think maybe some people went a little bit overboard on this match with the praise. Like it, I think Meltzer went four and a half to 4.75 on it. I just don't see it at that level. I, I see it as an Osprey performance where he comes into a kind of a, a new indie um, and elevates a guy who's way below him in terms of ability. You know, and I did like Dowie James. He thought he was good as a heel, looked like a good all-rounder, like some of his mat work was good. He can do the flashy stuff. Um, but clearly Osprey bringing a guy up to his level, you know, mm. um, nice little bit of selling of the, in I think, I think Osprey legitimately injured his foot in the match. And I think they, they made a little bit of that throughout the match. Um, thought the finish was a little bit sudden and out of nowhere. Um, I would say if, if people are looking for a match from that MCW Vendetta show and you're looking to, again, to kind of find two guys that you've never heard of before, there's a match on that show uh, from Danny Psycho against Royce Chambers, they're called. And I would say it's actually a better match than this. And again, if people want a little bit of homework and something to seek out in the next few weeks or months, have a look at that match because that's just two guys who kind of blew me away as being guys I'd never heard of before and put on a serious performance, you know. Um, anything else on that top 10 that was on your honourable mentions, Benno? Um, 
Jake Lee Kento. Did you see that match? Yeah, I've got that on my list as well. Um, that is one that kind of, again, this is this is where you know I'm going to go. Okay, I see this in the grapple top ten. I see this getting rated highly on the app. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. This is one that I believe that JP uh, reviewed on uh, on Spotlight and was recommending oh, yeah. people for. It's one where I go, you know, four point two five on. Um, and it's a, I do think I, I kind of in my honorable mentions I had a bit of logjam of those those kind of matches. Uh, Kintamihara is one who's you know he's got his style, he's got his type of match, and he and he does it very very well. And you know th- this is a story. It was one of those you know that age old you know David Starr can't beat Walter kind of situation. You know yeah. more with you know Jake Levy and the uh, he's more of a, a cocky dick I suppose in that role and it's more like he can beat him but he can't beat him when it comes to a to the big one um for me it was maybe just a touch long I think is is what maybe hurt it for me there were a couple of there were great moments in the match but there were a couple of like weird ref moments where like I felt like I, I'm pretty certain Jake Lee's shoulder was up on the finish uh, and there was another near fall like that earlier in the match as well that maybe slightly hurt it as well maybe you know again I don't want to talk it down as a 4.25 star match maybe just to explain why it didn't uh, didn't make my list and maybe the fact that I'm not following all Japan full-time you know bars me from maybe having the emotional involvement in the match that others would that would make it a, a slam dunk for other people's top fives but it would it would certainly be in my, my top 10 if uh, if not there or thereabouts yeah I had that like the, the grapple users have that at number six with a 4.38 rating like so so like you know and it with 121 people rating it as well so like a, a very robust average rating there you know it's clearly a lot of people are watching all japan this year mm. um i had it at four stars I, I i would say a solid start to miyahara's year um i don't buy jake lee as a top guy yet I, I feel like i just feel like he's a work in progress um i feel like he was a little bit swallowed up kind of by miyahara in this match um i know that some of the all japan fans will be very angry hearing that um I just feel like Miyahara is the guy in all Japan at the moment. And there's a group of kind of guys, Jake Lee. I actually prefer Nomura, Naona, Naoya. I always mispronounce that first name, Nomura. He's kind of the guy who I feel is having the best matches with Miyahara at the moment. And if anybody should kind of rise up from that new generation, I think it should be him next, maybe. Um, I just feel like Jake Lee hasn't put, I think he will get there, but I just don't think he's top guy material yet. Um, but the great thing about Miyahara is he's just super consistent like I think I've had him in my top 10 in the world for at least the last three years because he just has this formula now at this stage where he can plug just about anyone into it have a great match bang out the four star matches almost relentlessly you know what I mean so he's one of my favourite wrestlers and, and, and a, a guy that I think we'll be talking about it in months to come in top fives of the, of the month as well you know mm. um, anyone else there Benno in your well, Honorable mentions, not necessarily. Did you have Jordan Devlin and Tyler Bates from NXT was, take over on yours? I was going to say, with, with trepidation, I'm going to mention that I had that in my. Uh, it was never making my top five. Let's be clear, everyone. Uh, it would probably yes, just about pit my uh, my top ten. It's funny when we reviewed that one, Jamesy. Like I think. I was definitely the high man out of the four of us when we did it over on BWA. Um, and I think you know you and Joe particularly explained why you went into it. It. I mean, it's a popcorn match completely, you know, and it's a lower tier of, you know, popcorn shootout. Not really too much of a story to it kind of match. Like I can get, I get it. I get why you guys hated it on the night. Uh, I think the the other problem is, you know, the the shadow looming over it, you know, in January was, well, we just finished talking about how good, you know, Jordan Devlin's performances were at OTT. And then rather than that, you know, those, you know, this great, 
Scorsese, Coppola kind of, you know, layered matches that he'd been doing in OTT. Here you get your your blockbuster match with, you know, with a with a, a let's be honest, a very rowdy but obnoxious crowd doing their UK chants and the Are you watching Vince McMahon? And I think there was even a ship in Balfin Bar that got got thrown in there early. But I think even all that aside, I think it is one of those matches where let's be honest, this is a four to four point two five star match. It's it's no I think four point two five's, you know, being generous to it as high as you can you can realistically go. Uh, I think Meltzer actually went four and a half on it, which uh, I just think's way too much for a match like this. But it, it's a match where those last 10 minutes, as far as like that big, if you want to call it just a, a sport and kind of shootout kind of match, those last 10 are, are great. You know, the uh, the boxer moment got some derision uh, <laughs> for it, but I didn't oh, mind it. Yeah. I enjoyed the strikes on the floor. I enjoy every time Devlin pulls out that, you know, that backdrop he does where he kind of pulls them in by the arm. The desperation, I think, in those last 10 minutes of the two of them trying to win in front of what was, you know, a crowd that we will critique. And I think I just slipped a few in there. We're red hot, <laughs> red hot for those big moments that, you know, they were they were there. I think, I think Bate was really good. Like the moment that sticks out in the match for me is that desperation when he goes up to the to the top for the, the spiral tap where he, he's just got to win this thing. He's just got to put this guy away. Uh, totally get it. Not a match for everybody as far as the style goes. Very popcorn, but I think it's a very good popcorn match so i did want to give it a, a bit more love than maybe uh had the chance to give when we did uh, talk about it on that that takeover review yeah and and a match that we both had in our honorable mentions and that made the grapple top 10 was at number what number is it there it's number oh yeah number four actually number four it was the, basically the next best match according to the grapple users after wrestle kingdom of the month was kaito kiyomiya against go shiyazaki um from the noah show on the 4th of january and like i really really like this i think we both had it on our honorable mentions i gave it 4.25 um just a really epic feeling Noah main event, you know, and like Noah is, is a promotion that has slipped so badly when you go back to the, the early to mid 2000s and like they, they were basically the new Japan of the time, you know, and look how far they've slipped. Um, I just felt like it was a match that the crowd is really hot for. Um, it's a really nice redemption story for Go Shiyazaki. Like he, he was basically entrusted with the role of the ace of, of Noah after, after Misawa died. And it was just too early for him. And he failed in the role of the ace. And it's kind of been a thing that's kind of tarnished him ever since. And I feel like now he's ready. I feel like now he's a proper world-class wrestler. I feel like he can now carry the company on his shoulders, you know. And Kiyomiya is a really, really good young talent. Uh, like he had a really great year last year and was champion for a long run in Noah. And I feel like this was, this was a nice point for him to lose the title. And I feel like in the future, Go Shiyazaki can be his mountain to climb. You know what I mean? And I feel mm. like, like you talked about the Walter starting, have him keep losing to Go Shiyazaki and eventually overcome him. You know what I mean? And I think that'll be the making of him as the ace of the company in the future. So I just felt it was a really good match. And as I said, I have no problem with it being in the top 10 grapple. Oh yeah, definitely. And it says like it says how much where the mount has travelled that it's it's managed to crack that. Uh, yeah. I think this is another one of those matches where I think most I, I would say a good chunk of the people rating are on grapple, similar to me, are people who just aren't following Noah day to day. Let, let, let's be honest. And the, the jumping in, like you said, when a match like this gets gets rated so highly. Um yeah, for me for me, I mean it's it's not one that I think it's it, it's one I want to mention just because of how rate high you know everybody had rated it. Again, I think maybe yeah. the emotional investment maybe hits it a little 
bit for me. Um, as much as I can recognise how good what the guys are doing in the ring is, maybe that's what stops me, you know, going from like a four or four point two five to to going higher, which a lot of people have on grapple. You know, I saw even a couple of uh, fives thrown out for it as well. But no, a very good match that deserves to be in the conversation and, and the type of match that might you know bring a few more eyes to Noah. Um, and it is a match that I believe it's it's out there for free on YouTube as well, isn't it? That people can uh, can bring up as well, um, so you can find that too. Yeah, and like just very briefly on Noah, I, I, I was kind of thinking about promotion of the month and that kind of thing. And I suppose let's leave New Japan out of it. Like if you've got a promotion with three matches and both their top fives of the month and the top three matches on Grapple, clearly they're the promotion of the month. If I was to give a kind of a second place, I would actually say Noah had a really, really solid start to the year. Like between between that match, between the Dick Togo match that I talked about, mm. both semi both semi-finals of that tournament that ended up with Togo and Harada were really good. There's a really great match that I just briefly want to bring to people's attention as well. It was from the 4th of January and it was for the junior title in Noah between uh, Hayata and the veteran Yoshinari Ogawa, who we talked about a little while back there on that UK show, Benno, you might remember him being in the ring with Masawa and those guys. Um, it's only got a 3.83 average on Grapple. Only 47 people have rated it. But like I had this match at 4.5 stars and it very much falls under the category of the, the Togo Harada match where it's just a completely simple logical match. Um, again, it's it's a younger guy like Hayata, who I personally, I don't rate him very well. He's kind of a high-flying guy who I've never thought he was good enough to be kind of the junior champion in Noah. And Ogawa, the veteran, just comes in here, and I would say it's probably the best carry job I've seen of the month, where he just literally takes this guy by the scruff of the neck and guides him through this, this probably 15 to 20 minute match, where he just relentlessly works over your man, uh, Hayata's leg over and over and over doesn't even give him a chance not to sell it because he just stays on the leg so much. And it's just an amazing example of an experienced veteran carrying a younger guy to a really good match. So it's just an under-the-radar match for people to, to have a look at. And the other honourable mention I, I just really want to talk about is I mentioned Judas Icarus earlier and his match against Maccabi in 3-2-1 battle. And he had another match on the 17th of January in ECCW, which is another North um, Pacific Northwest promotion. Um, and it's him against a guy called Elliot Tyler and it's an I quit match and these guys have had a, a prolonged feud in that promotion over the last six months I think it is um, and it has a real feel of Kevin Steen against uh, El Generico where they're former tag team partners um, things have gone amiss between them and this match I gave it 4.25 I could easily have gone higher on it it's almost a death match like these two guys two young hungry guys trying to make a name for themselves and there's just this great sense of hatred in the match and there's some crazy stuff in it like at one point Judas Icarus attacks attacks Elliot Tyler's ear which is something you don't see very often in a wrestling match at one point they bring a hammer into it um, there's a really great spot with thumbtacks in the mouth um, and just again if people are it's on YouTube I'll, I'll put the link up on Twitter once the show drops if people are looking for new people and looking for new wrestlers and looking to get in the ground floor and some young hungry talent that's a match I would highly recommend to people 
Um, have you anything more on your honourable mentions, Benno? Yeah, just a couple of quick ones. I mean, you know, you you mentioned it already, and we talked about it. Daniel Macabe and uh, and Judas Icarus, uh, yeah. just just so good. And I'm, I'm made up. You maybe watch that one. So that was in there. Uh, Chris Dickinson and David Starr, uh, one from the GCW. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a man who keeps up with the GCW. You're at the start, I miss them off uh, the promotions. I try to keep up with. They're like a they're a bit of a guilty pleasure, but every now and then, they, they, not even every now and then, they do tend to knock out these bangers. It was very much an indie banger. I couldn't I couldn't have. Uh, justify putting him a top five, you know, especially ahead of you know, you know that all Japan and Noah stuff. But I, honestly, I think Star was really good in it. It's like they've kind of taken on his honorary Brit status and kind of working it as a, a bit of a heel in the match. Like every big, in, like not every big indie, but like a lot of big indie matches, it's about the big close and stretch. It's about the the star comeback at the end, and it's about the uh, the near falls as well. Uh, there is there is unfortunately James your Canadian destroyer spot in there, but you know we'll forgive that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's very good, and there's a nice moment afterwards as well with the, with Dickinson kind of endorsing Star, which you can kind of tell he uh, maybe wasn't a fan of uh, in the past. I really enjoyed that. Did, did you catch up with that one before I uh, go into all of this? Yeah, yeah, I had it at a solid four-star match. Yeah, um, I think on Grapple, it's got a 4.16 average, so we're both kind of in and around on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, the thing we forget about Star is, you know, we've become so used to him telling these great big stories and having these great feuds and doing the great character stuff, you forget that you can just throw him into a match like this with no real build-up and he can still kind of blow the house down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is just really good, fast-paced, hard-hitting match. There's no huge story to it. I think he does work Dickinson's leg a little bit and I had slight reservations about the fact that <laughs> Dickinson kind of just blew it off towards the end and went into his closing stretch. But, like, for, for a US indie match and, like, it's, it's actually striking how little US indie stuff we have on our list and how little we're mentioning them in the honourable mention. This is about what has it got for the US indies in January. Um, and definitely, as I said, GCW, I think they're probably the hottest indie in America at the moment. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%, yeah. They're the only one you hear talk about. Now, they're the only one really I try and keep close up with. I've, mm. I've even ordered the T-shirt, James, even this pandemic that's uh, finally oh, arrived after a month. I got stung by uh, by uh, import tax on it, though. 13 oh, quid. No. They tell you what, Royal Mail are a bunch of jokers, really. But wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have happened in Ian Rotten's day. He would have posted me like it was a, a pair of socks worth about 50p um, <laughs> with a sneak right through customs. But that's how much I'm into a GCW. I'm willing to, uh, to pay the 30 pound import charge and yeah they are they're the one you hear some talk about pcw ultra the uh, the other pcw uh but other than that really like i mean you know aaw as well um but other than that people just don't you don't just don't, don't hear the talk and yeah there wasn't really anything that would uh even you know following cage match and other sources that was uh, mm, in danger yeah. of uh, cracking my tent um i did want to mention as well just very quickly just thought uh what that i we haven't talked AEW at all. Uh, I think on the February yeah. show you're gonna uh, you're gonna be talking AEW a, a fair bit more. Uh, but I did. I went back. My idea before this podcast, uh, I put my. I decided to watch every match that I'd rated four stars or above uh, again, and decided to also you know fill in some of my gaps on uh, stuff that was high rated elsewhere. And honestly, I. I'd forgotten that I'd give it a four stars, but I'd given Darby Allen and Pack four stars from eight. It was the uh, the Bash of the Beach show in January. Um, oh, yeah. That and the and the Darby Allen Cody match. And I tell you what, when it comes to rewatching matches, like my my opinion on the two couldn't be more different. Rewatching them, I think 
Cody Rhodes has really got that quality where I think last year I was convinced I was putting the match with him and Dustin Rhodes on my top 10 for the year and then I rewatched it and it wasn't near it. I think it, Cody is, and he probably admit this himself, he is so smoke, to borrow a line from I think one of his entrance songs, he is very smoke and mirrors like you do. You, you rewatch it and sometimes that, that illusion kind of falls apart. I tell you what, like the, the difference between Cody and Darby Allen, which went about 20 minutes and was just too long. Uh, you know, there's a couple, there's a botch on that. Like, I don't know if you remember the apron coffin drop spot where I think Darby was supposed to get his knees up but didn't or at least JR thought he was supposed to and then he does get his knees up for the finish so maybe JR had just got the two spots mixed up and kind of killed it himself it was just too long and then I compared that I watched it back to back with the the Darby Allen pack match uh, from a couple of weeks later and it was only 11 minutes it was tighter more impactful they were going on TV time limits so maybe maybe that helped as well but it just had just more natural momentum shifts. Darby was maybe underneath a little bit more. Maybe Cody gave him a bit too much maybe for his part. So it was more of a straightforward pack win. Uh, but yeah, that was one that kind of held up in you know in the four star range. Whereas the uh, yeah the Cody Darby Allen match, I was I was wanting to lock, knock a whole star off it. Uh, tell you what, the uh, the difference sometimes uh, a rewatch can be. Yeah, it's, it's, it, if I remember rightly, AEW had a funny old January, didn't they? They kind of came back from a Christmas break. And the things kind of went off the rails a little bit, didn't they? Because I, I'm just looking through my January spreadsheet and the only match from AEW that I had over four stars was actually on the 21st of January, a tag match between SCU and Adam Page and Kenny Omega. Mm. Um, remember that being really good. And I remember that, that whole series between them being really good. Apart from that, I think I gave both those matches you mentioned 3.75. Um, I didn't get around to re-watching them, but I just remember suddenly then in February, like you said, AEW, kind of got things right and in, in the, what wasn't January that kind of no man's land between they were between pay-per-views there wasn't a lot going on and then finally when we got into February we got into the run into the pay-per-view and suddenly everything clicked for them wasn't that right yeah that's I think the, the Christmas break as well kind of helped them as well I think January was the seeds of it February is where they really really hit the stride though yeah yeah um, and I just literally just going to list a few other ones for people, a few under the radar ones again. Um, from the 3rd of January in all Japan, it was for the junior heavyweight title, uh, Susumu Yokosuka against Hikaru Sato. Just again, a really, really good limb work match. Again, a Jamesy match. Um, from Subgraps, Southern Underground Pro um, in the, the Southern Territory in the US on the 5th of January, another Daniel Bacabe match against Kevin Koo. Uh, would really wreck, I give that 4.25. But again, it's your typical Bacabe match. Really good selling, really intense striking. Probably the best Kevin Koo match I've ever seen. And it's particularly good for the commentary by Dylan Hale, just to give him a shout out. Some really good stuff. And a match that... I have seen nobody give any praise for whatsoever. And it's probably a sign of what you were saying earlier, Benno, about ROH and people just not watching it anymore. They had a match on their TV on the 11th of January between Jonathan Gresham and Josh Woods that I thought was phenomenal. Just some really, really good innovative stuff from Jonathan Gresham in it. Um, It's only got an average of 3.47 on Grapple. Again, I went 4.25. Um, and the last one that I'd recommend again, not getting an awful lot of praise out there from the 19th of January in all Japan. It's Naoya Nomura against Ayato Yoshida, where they actually wrestled to a 30 minute draw. Um, and that's actually quite highly rated on Grapple. It's got a 4.04 average on Grapple. I gave it again 4.25. So again, 
you know, I would like this podcast to be somewhere where people can listen and then say, God, I didn't know about that match. I hadn't heard about that match. I maybe go off and discover some new wrestlers and that kind of thing, you know, and I'd like people to take something like that from from the podcast as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about on your honourable mentions or will we move on? I was going to say, James, you know, the stink lacks of uh, the biggest wrestling company in the world in our, uh, our list yeah, there. Did you notice? Yeah, uh, yeah. How much do we do here? That? I was going to say, if, I could, if you forced me to make a case, I suppose I, I suppose you can count you know, my honourable mentions, my uh, my devil and bait match. But if you want to talk like main roster WWE and you put a gun to my head, you could probably force me to include the Royal Rumble, but it would be purely based yeah. on the first half and not the second <laughs> half. Like everything yeah, up yeah. to and including when when Brock got eliminated was was one of the greatest experiences I've had watching a Rumble. Maybe it's the fact that I, I don't care about the WWE product and it didn't bother me at all. Brock just launching a load of jobbers out the ring or guys that maybe actually <laughs> shouldn't be jobbers in a proper wrestling company, but unfortunately are in the uh, WWE presentation of them. Yeah, obviously, the second half and listeners to Spotlight will uh, will have known uh, Joe's rant about the <laughs> the Matt Riddle <laughs> moment and, uh, and Drew Galloway, uh, Drew McIntyre in general. Uh, but if I was going to make an argument, that's the strongest I could make. And again, it's based on half a match. Like, how shocking is that, really? I mean, I wonder if that's going to be the, the story of your podcast this year, Jamie. Yeah, and it, it's actually something I'm going to make a point of checking every month because, like, you list the amount of talented wrestlers that are in that company. You know what I mean? Between NXT, between NXT UK, between main roster, they should be banging out four-star-plus matches on a weekly basis. There should be no excuse for it. You know what I mean? And it's like... It's almost impossible to kind of talk too much about how little they produce for the talent they have. Like, oh, I'm looking down through my spreadsheet. All I have is the Rumble match, like you said, at four stars. I gave Daniel Bryan against The Fiend four stars just purely because I think he performed an absolute miracle in getting what he did out of that absolute shit show of, of a gimmick. You know what I mean? An impossible gimmick to work with. And he somehow got a decent logical match out of it. Um, there was a good match on NXT UK that we talked about on the BWE way back on the 2nd of January. Do you remember the Dragonoff Alexander Wolf match? They had a kind of a no holds barred match. But that's it. For a company with 300 wrestlers who have literally cleared the indies out of the top five tiers of wrestlers, not to mind taking the best wrestlers, and they're producing nothing. You know what I mean? And it's just desperate stuff. You know what I mean? So I think we're going to make that a little a little bit every month to look at what, what they produce versus what they have at their disposal, because it really is shameful, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And when they're getting shown up by, you know, when you look at the grapple highest ma- matches by the UK takeovers and world collide shows, like that just shows yeah. you, doesn't it? Like, and, and you know, where we are on record as not being uh, fans of the uh, the UK stuff in general. Yeah, WWE main roster just doesn't come into the conversation. I just put the, the rating filter into grapple, just trying to see if I had anything that I could counter counter with. And like the women's rumble comes up as a gentleman's three. You know what I mean? That's as that's as close <laughs> as you're getting with me. In, yeah, yeah and, uh, slim pickings. Imagine any other sport where, like, say in football, imagine the Premier League was this bad for this long. Like, it would be there'd be riots in the streets, mate. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of kind of crazy, but yeah, you never know. Maybe we'll get an upturn, eh, James? Maybe in those those barren uh, April months, or maybe when you get to to this month, May, and uh, no one else is running, maybe they'll get in by default. But it's, uh, it's certainly <laughs> not no looking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what I might get Garrett to do is see if he can kind of let us know what what the actual highest rated 
match in the month for WWE is like because like the, the top 10 for this month is striking there's basically eight matches from Japan one from the UK and one from Australia there's not even anything from the US whatsoever you know what I mean so it's not just us and it's not just our biases against WWE coming through there's a consensus out there that their product is very very poor at the moment and like the, the very least they could be doing is just letting those great wrestlers they have wrestle and they can't even do that. You know what I mean? It's just amazing, really. And as I said, I think it's something we'll try and keep track of as a bit of a bit every month just to see what maybe what the highest rate of match is from that company because I think it'll tell its own story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Benno, um, we have done the month of January for 2020 and I thought it would be nice to kind of round out, round out each show with a classic match of the month. And I'm going to let my guest pick it every month. So do you want to let the listeners know what classic match... And I, I wanted you to pick a match that kind of had a consensus as a five-star match or one that was universally loved and we'd kind of look back on it with 2020 eyes and see if it holds up so what's the match that you chose well james it's me and you in it so it was always going to be ring of honor uh distinct lack of a um, mid 2000s ring of honor discussion on this podcast I'll tell you what james be, uh, we'll have to make up for it now uh yeah i was, I was looking i was thinking well we did Nigel Bryan the other week. Can't can't do that. Uh, what, what are the other like consensus five stars ones? And uh, sorry to sorry to brag again, but I was there for this one. Um, saving the I'll save Joe Kobashi for another day. Uh, that's another one there. Not even I'm not even humble bragging at this point, James. I'm just outright bragging. <laughs> uh, but uh, WrestleMania weekend 2006, the one WrestleMania weekend I've ever done. Uh, the Dragon Gate Six Man. I, I can just say the Dragon Gate Six Man, and people will know what I'm talking about. But it's uh, Do Fix a Dragon Kid. Genki Haraguchi and Raya Sato against the Blood Generation team of uh, Sima, Yoshino and Naruki Doi uh, this is this is one that like was an immediate melt of five stars it's funny looking back on it now because I remember in the building Jamesy like I was you know, obviously being a, a big Rig of Honor fan um, I kind of feel like in that period maybe you wouldn't get away with it now but I reckon there were more people than not in that building who were kind of just pretending they knew about Dragon Gate. Who were kind of just, you know, oh yeah, I watched Dragon Gate. Oh yeah, that's the uh, that's the company that the, the, the Chiba works for. Oh yeah, I know that. I really feel like there's a lot of that. And you know what? This match was rewatching it back, and I've actually rewatched it twice in the last uh, few weeks. Just, uh, just, just a few weeks ago watched it as like a watch along and then rewatched it again for for this podcast and it is it's one of those matches where it's a crowd full of people pretending they watch dragon gate actually seeing <laughs> dragon gate for the first time and losing their minds and i'm among yeah. them i'm there i'm there in the third row you can see me losing my mind a couple of points in this match uh it's one of the biggest crowds ring of honor you know did during this period if not outright the biggest at this point and it was just it was the touring match done great uh, i know gabe tried to keep the six-man tradition going uh, maybe a bit longer than he than he should have but it did you know start a bit of a bit of tradition yeah. and yeah it was just utterly incredible match and you know what a lot of fun watching it back again you know i don't think i agree with five stars i think i'll probably go four and a half myself uh but you know watching it back it was it was just every bit as fun watching it a second time watching the crowd lose their minds uh watching the wrestlers loving the fact that this crowd is so into them which you know i think kenta Kaboshi didn't even expect the crowd to be behind him in the samoa joe match so god knows what, right. these, what these lads thought coming out into a uh, chicago ridge but yeah absolutely loved it and it, yeah, it was still still a, a lot of it's the type of match you know with it being at the time you know the, the it was kind of the next level kind of spot 
flying kind of match, intricate Dragon Gate match that you might say in 2020 might not hold up because maybe, you know, things have moved on, but I think it just as well holds up and uh, I liked it as much now as uh, as it did then. Did you did you have fun watching it a second time? Cause, yeah, we talked about the Jamesy match. Doesn't strike me as a Jamesy match, but, you know, it, it, I'd hope it's one of those where what they do in the matches it, within the con- construct of that style is so good that it, may, it maybe is hard to ignore. Oh, yeah. And, like... I like it. I can't say how much I love this match back in 2006. I like I remember all the buzz seeing you guys on the message board who were there at it talking about this match and how great it was and like getting the DVD and you know the way hype sometimes ruins a match for you and it's you know, that happens to me so often I get all the hype about a match and then I watch it and I'm so hyped up to watch it I'm disappointed. This is one of those ones where, like like you, Benno, I had no real prior experience of Dragon Gate. I knew who Seema was and I knew who Dragon Kid was, probably from their brief appearances, WCW more than anything. I knew about the style and there were people on the message board in the weeks before this match kind of educating people about it and telling you who this guy is and what they do and all that kind of thing. But like to me, this match in 2006... Gabe, Gabe in the Observer, like he was feeding Dave Meltzer all his lines in the Observer, <laughs> and Dave calls it wrestling from the future. But like that's what it felt like to me. Like I had never seen anything like this before, you know. And in with 2020 eyes, I still love this match. And in a way, I think this match has been very formative in me becoming the type of fan that I am. Because every time I see a match like this now. I compare it to that match <laughs> and nothing, nothing almost stands up to it because this is so perfect and so flawless and everything is done at such a speed that when I see an AEW tag match now or, or a six man tag from somewhere else where people are going crazy about the high spots, I think, yeah, it's good, but it's not as good as the Dragon Gate six man. <laughs> it's just become, it's become the gold standard in my head for oh. fireworks wrestling. And I, I don't want to insult it by calling it spot fest wrestling because I do feel like there's an underlying psychology to it. I do feel like like they protect their finishers in the match when they're striking each other. They're beating the shit out of each other. Like there's a there's a great moment. I think that there's a turning point in the match where the two team captains end up in the ring together. I think it's Seema and is it um, Rio Saito, and they square. It's about 15 minutes in, and the two of them square off. And I think that's the point. The crowd starts to realize holy shit, like this match is on another level because those two beat the shit out of each other. You can see the cr- a lot of this match is just on the hard cam on the ROH DVD. You can see the crowd stand up at that point and I don't think anybody sits down until 10 or 15 minutes later when it's over. Like it's just, and like we're, we're talking a lot at the moment about the importance of crowds to pro wrestling and we're talking about how bad pro wrestling is without crowds. And like, again, I think that the little bit extra push that this match gets is the crowd because the, you know Dragon Gate experts will say that there have been better matches of this type in yeah. Japan in Dragon Gate, better six man, better eight man tags, but I don't think there will ever have been a Dragon Gate match with a crowd that was and like sure you you were there yourself like you can say more than anybody <laughs> where the crowd were lifted by the wrestling and then the wrestlers in turn I think were lifted by the crowd yeah. And I think it pushed them. And I think they probably had a finish in mind. But then the crowd was so good and so hot that it was almost like they just said, oh, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going, keep going, keep kicking out. And it's just an incredible, it's like a symbiotic relationship between crowd and wrestlers. Yeah. And it's just perfect. And I, I give it five stars for that reason, because to me, it's it's the gold standard of high-paced I don't want to use the word spotty, but it's almost inevitable you have to use it. But that fast-paced style of wrestling, I don't think 
I have ever seen anything as good as this in terms of that, you know, and it's the crowd that gives it that extra half star for me and brings it up to five. And it's funny because, like, you mentioned there about, like, them. I do think there is that middle point in the match where things kind of flip and you go from a crowd that's, like, politely enjoying it, but, you know, enthusiastically enjoying it to absolutely losing their minds. And, yeah, I think you're right, the wrestlers go along with it because I don't know if you noticed rewatching it back, but Todd Sinclair has an absolute nightmare. Like, he has no idea what the finish is. Like, he must count three about six times. Like, he's, yeah. he's got no idea. He's just, he's just, like, but to be honest, it kind of adds to the drama. I can distinctly remember being, being yeah. there, all of us standing, so you can't really see the count anyway. I, and you and I'm buying into those near falls even more, and it kind of it works on tape as well. Uh, it's funny because you know live in the building, honestly, Jamesy. Me being a, I was a Ring of Honor snob at that point, and uh, believe it or not, things like that could exist. And I think I, I actually thought in the building that the uh, the AJ Styles Matt Seidel generation tag before it was better. Wow. Watched them both back the other week, and I was like, yep, I was kidding myself. It's like there's a little, <laughs> maybe not a full stars difference, but it's coming close because, yeah, for me, this is four and a half, point, pushing 4.75. Uh, like, yeah, th- th- this is worlds ahead of everything, you know, else at that time. Maybe with the benefit of hindsight, I can I can see that more. Uh, but yeah, it did, it did. Yeah, I, th- I do think, I think you're right. I think the, the lads called an audible and just went that, that little bit more because they could feel the crowd and they could feel the crowd wanted more and more of this stuff and yeah Paul rolled uh, Todd Sinclair I think was uh, was the victim of that one he He had no idea And like, you know, another thing that a match has to have to be great, I think, is is influence as well. And like you're only in a position to see the influence of a match 10, 15 years later. So we're able to look back at that match now. And like that's a hugely influential match. Like so many American wrestlers because of these shows ended up getting booked in Dragon Gate. Like, I always think of Matt Seidel left America as a good, high-flying US indie wrestler. And you remember he came back from Dragon Gate not that long afterwards, and he was a different man. He, he had just gotten so smooth and so good. Jack Evans is another one. And, like, it, it would go on for the likes of Ricochet. Like, Ricochet got so good when he went to, to Dragon Gate. Would those guys have gotten those excursions if this trip to America didn't happen in 2006, you know, uh, it started the, the, the Gabe tradition of the big six mans on Mania weekend. Now, they never lived up to it again, but it became a thing that his weekend, that his WrestleMania weekend shows would be built around. Would Dragon Gate USA have happened if those guys hadn't done that excursion in the first place and gotten over to that extent? Would the UK tours have happened where, where we ended up getting to see these guys in person a couple of years later in the UK? Do we even get the strong hearts? You think of the kind of the timeline from there where the Young Bucks then go over to Dragon Gate and become friendly with SEMA. Do we get the strong hearts in AEW? So there's a whole kind of a cascade of events that happened in US wrestling after this that all you can trace back to this match. You know what I mean? And I just think it's it's a magical lightning in a bottle match. Like the amount of times that I made non-wrestling fans watch that DVD back in the day when I was a student. <laughs> and and they would genuinely be blown away by it, you know, because they would have a certain idea of what pro wrestling was in their heads. And even if they started off kind of scoffing at it, by the time it got to the end and by the time it gets to that crazy finisher that Dragon Kid does, they're literally sitting there with their jaws on the ground saying, my God, like, what is this wrestling? It's, it's just like something from another planet, you know. So it's it's a very special match to me. I'm delighted you picked it, Benno. Like, I, I knew well you'd go for ROH. I knew when 
I was giving you the chance, you wouldn't let me down. I thought it might be Joe Kabashi because you were there. But as you said, maybe that's a show in itself. And we might have to review that whole show as a, as a whole and, uh, and grapple at some point. But yeah. I just I just loved getting to watch this match again. It's a special match to me. It's one that kind of, as I said, stands out in my memory um, and really, really nice to relive it again. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm taking that as a promise, James. You were definitely doing that, eh? Joe Kobashi. Uh, soon enough, uh, it's definitely Perfect. happening. Uh, but yeah, Excellent. I've got to be honest, I went in this conversation from starting at 4.5 to moving to 4.75 to like, you might have convinced <laughs> me a five now. That's the, that's yes. the legacy of this match. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it, I, don't, it, I don't begrudge anyone throwing five at it. Uh, looking look at it now. If honestly, if you gave the first half of that, the first half of that match happened on a dynamite, and you know what, it should be happening on a dynamite because they got access to, to you know, exactly. They, yeah. got the, they got the access there. Like, what well, what is going on? The first half of this though would be like people be talking about it as the best dynamite match, you know, and the dynamite run. Like, never mind when it oh, when yeah. it hits the the second half, and and that's us talking fourteen years later. So yeah, it says a lot for the for the legacy of that match too, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, of course, always had to be ROH James. Oh, Always is with me and you. Always goes back to the old days, yeah. But yeah, this was a, it was a special weekend for me, Jamesy. That I was gutted that day because that morning was Necro Loki, and I was uh, I was oh, still yeah. a bit, still a bit jet lagged, and I slept in, and I missed that. Oh, my, oh, no. uh, my mate, my mate, who I was staying with, and you know, Justin listens to a lot of these podcasts, and I've never forgiven him. Yeah, I think he, I think he just thought I looked peaceful, and he let me sleep in, and then oh. we, uh, we got up a bit too late. Try it's a whole again. It'll be its own podcast at some point. I talked about it on the live Germany one, but we got we. Ended up getting a bit lost in the hood in Chicago and never quite made our way to uh, so that I, it was in a sketchy uh, part of town that I had to be a bit south show. So I was gutted to miss that, but yeah, once we got a uh, we got we got ran up to the, uh, the to the supercar van and got to Chicago Ridge, it was a uh, it was all forgotten uh, by the end of this night. So it was uh, it was all worth it in the end, even if yeah, still feel a bit gutted. Maybe Necro Luki, that's one we can go back and review at some point. Uh, I don't think it's a five star yeah. match, but it's uh, it's a very good one. Oh, that, that whole weekend, like, sure, wasn't that the weekend that the big BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs power bomb spot happened, where he nearly killed him off the ring apron? That's the and one. Was there was Danielson, Roderick? Didn't Danielson and Roderick Strong have to follow this match? That was the they main event. Afterwards? Yeah, yeah, that that was Jesus. I I hadn't realized until I rewatched this a few weeks ago. That almost goes an hour. Like the cheek, the yeah. cheek of like going an hour. There was no time shows back then, so there wasn't. Uh, that's it. We were all very tired by the end of it, but worth it. But worth it. Yeah, it was an incredible. As a weekend goes, like you say, yeah, you got your Jimmy Jacobs, BJ Whitmer, and you got uh, Brian Danielson and Lance Storm, which is a real uh, memorable match in there as well. The- Pay off to the Colt Cabana homicide feud. Uh, oh, yes, yes, the, uh, yeah. The good old days, James, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, Jesus, Benno, if we get started, we'll end, we'll end up talking <laughs> for another say. hour. So maybe we'll just put a line under it and save it for an ROH retro review. What do you think? For sure, yeah. But yeah, I'm taking that as a date. Uh, coming soon to grapple. Oh, we'll, definitely, uh, we'll definitely, with that. my pleasure, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Benno, this has been an absolute pleasure. As, as I said at the start, I couldn't think of a better man to have on Number one, because of your wrestling knowledge. Number two, because it's nice to have a, a reassuring voice that I'm used to talking to on these podcasts <laughs> uh, as my co-host on, on BWE and that kind of thing. So thanks so much. Like I know, I, and like you put a lot of work into rewatching matches for this and, you know, you, you typed up a lovely spreadsheet for us and everything like that. Very, very grateful for having you on here. Um, I suppose you have, you're, you're definitely the most hardworking man in podcasting at the moment. Like it, it feels like, you're doing two or three a week at this point, so you probably have plenty of things to plug, I'm sure, at the moment. Oh, yeah, people must must be sick of it, the sound of a voice right now. It's one of them, Jason. What else have we got to do right now? We're all locked, all I, locked in. 
Uh, I might launch another couple of podcasts this weekend. What do you reckon? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's honestly a huge honor coming on your first show. I'm excited to, to, to see the guests uh, going forward. But yeah, mass- massively honored to be on the first one. I had a, a hell of a time doing it. But yeah, you know, on this network, uh, if anyone doesn't normally listen, uh, we have our spotlight show. Uh, we'll be recording on Monday, uh, I believe, uh, this week for, for this one. We're going to wait for uh, Money in the Bank to uh, to get in the can. Uh, just so Joe can have a rightful go at that. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be a lot of fun. We've got a we're, we're doing a lot of uh, flashback nineties stuff. So we're going to be looking at uh, a bit further look at nineteen ninety seven with a with a look at the Canadian Stampede in your house show, uh, which was actually Amazing. the week before uh, Bash of the Beach ninety seven that we reviewed a few weeks ago with Martin. So yeah, Martin's going to be back for for joining us with that, and then obviously yeah, next week uh, James, we've got a big show coming up on the British wrestling experience over on Post oh, yeah. uh, that people can look forward to too. So yeah. All the podcasts, follow me at Benson Richard E on Twitter. And yeah, I promise uh, I'll calm down in a bit. But again, you know, it, it's a lockdown. Podcasts are uh, keeping us all going and hopefully it's uh, it's good entertainment for everybody. That is it. Thanks a million again, Benno, for coming on. Um, this has been the January 2020 match of the month on the Grapple. We're a Grapple Audio Network now, I suppose, Benno, are we? Oh, we love to call it that now that we have more than one show. Moved up in the world, mate. I've, uh, I've changed the logos <laughs> on the podcast feed. I've uh, renamed it as well. So, yeah, there you go. It's official now. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015. And as Benno said, you can catch me on the British Wrestling Experience every two weeks over on Post with uh, with Benno and Martin. Um, yeah, signing out. Thanks a million for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our first show. Bye.